When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. Welcome to Podcast 99. We're back from a little break. Justin was in Boston. Ben and I were here. What do you got? We've been, well, it's been three weeks. Here. We got a lot. The one yeah. thing that uh, we already talked a little bit about off air. The, uh, so we talked about this before. The news can't be trusted. <laughs> Did you guys the, know that? The Florida whistleblower. I'm not saying this is true, but there's a counter story coming on about the Florida whistleblower who was whistleblowing about Florida faking their COVID numbers is now being discredited saying the story is almost completely made up. She was not in a position to be able to even do the things that she was claiming the government had asked her to do, like audit the numbers and Change falsify the, the numbers and stuff yeah. like that. I am actually not saying that that news story is true. <laughs> uh, maybe she's actually a, a valid whistleblower. Maybe she was going to get fired anyway, made up a story, and then all the mainstream media stories covered it without doing any diligence, like checking in with the government agency that she worked for, which is now the counterclaim being run by places like The Hill. And I just thought it was interesting. So I'm not going to blindly trust The Hill, mm -hmm. But it's just a really good lesson, again, like UVA story from the Rolling Stones, yeah, yeah. which is that if the journalists have a story that they think will get clicks, they suddenly find it very compelling to not check for any other confirmation or to listen to any of the evidence to the contrary. Mm -hmm. So it's just another example of why everyone should calm down a little <laughs> bit whenever they see something in the news that gets them all fired up. Yeah, yeah. Who knows what happened with this Florida thing? I have, uh, at this point, no opinion, but... So one of, one of the things about that that is interesting, amongst others, I don't know anything about the Florida, but you and I have discussed now three times, the nouns that are used and the adjectives of the whole story. So you, first story covered this person as a whistleblower, which has an obvious connotation. News stories are covering her as, not all of the news stories, but the opposition news stories are covering this person as a disgruntled employee, which completely changes the context of the entire thing and therefore how you read and perceive. Sure. Uh and what I think is unfortunate is that I don't know if it's always been the case, but what counts as news today is a claim by a citizen that ha is not checked. Like s source says is newsworthy today. But, you know, we've talked about, you know, people are outraged. That means that you need to find two Twitter accounts that said a similar sentiment and that it becomes a story. Mm -hmm. uh, increasingly, sources, it seems like, do not need to be checked because there's this shield of well, I didn't say this was true. I said that the source claimed. <laughs> you know, I didn't I didn't it's it's gotten to be tabloid journalism. You know, sources close to Tom and Kate say that they're on the rocks. It's sure. like well, I didn't say they're on the rocks. I just got someone close to them and that's what they said. So yeah, you know, old news for for this podcast, but news is uh, not to be trusted. <laughs> Another thing I'll Well just another, I thought it was an interesting example though, because we all heard about the Florida whistleblower. Yeah. Turns out that might not be legit. Maybe, and it might not have, yeah, who knows. One thing that I thought think is interesting, obviously Israel-Palestine coming through strong in the news right now. Mm -hmm. um, and so I was like, ah, let me try to find a different angle than you know Israel or Palestine because I think that that's 
it's it's just so tribal. You know, if you tell me someone's um, background and or and or which way they voted, I can tell you how they feel about that particular conflict. Like yeah. if you tell me the religion and it is either Muslim or Jewish, I can tell you where they land. And if they like, I well, can I can just also, predict. Uh, I think it's it's funny to me that people have strong opinions about this if they knew nothing about it six months ago because this has been happening for a decade plus. Yeah. And so I think anyone who thinks that either party is completely, if you think Hamas is completely innocent and that the Palestinian, uh, no one on the Palestinian side has ever done anything wrong, then you're wrong. And if you think that Israel is completely innocent, has never done anything wrong, then you're wrong. Mm -hmm. And I see a lot of people online who I think had no idea, had no opinion about this conflict, have a very strong opinion all of a sudden. And you don't know anything about what happened in 2005 or in 1998 that may have contributed to the situation we're in today. So that was my one takeaway. It's just like, you know, and, and the other thing is people use photos. They're like, this is a photo of someone and they're, they're distraught because they're mourning their child. It's like, you don't know where this photo is from. And I've seen ABC News or CNN take a Kentucky gun range and claim it's Syria. Yeah, kids in cages. And then it it's was, like, yeah, this could be a picture from Iraq after a U.S. drone killed a civilian. And, and you have no idea. So it's just a very interesting story to me to see people feel so strongly about it with so little information. Yeah. Well, I think it's so as I was thinking about it, the perhaps to me, the most interesting question is like, why this conflict? So I, I was I went looking uh, since 2000. Do you have an estimate of how many people have been killed in the I, conflict? I do because your brother told me this okay. this morning. Yeah, this is crazy. So uh, it's between 10 and 20,000 people since the year 2000 have died on both sides, primarily Palestinians, have died in this conflict. Uh, there's a war called the Tigray War <laughs> that's been going on since November of 2020 in Ethiopia, and 50,000 people have died. I have not heard mentioned the Tigray War. Yeah, yeah. I have no idea who's involved. I have no, like, I had to go to Wikipedia to get, like, basic stats on it. And the question becomes, like, wait a second, why this one? It's certainly not the most... Uh, catastrophic loss of human life it's probably not even the longest lasting if i found if i searched around the world i think one thing in 20 years it's had less people die than this war in africa has had die in less than a year yes (laughs) yes and and that's been true since 2000 there was always something like the the second congolese war i think is the deadliest war of the 22nd are we in the 21st or 22nd 21st century yeah uh, and over 5 million people have died, depending on how you carve up the dates. Like, I think 10 million people if you combine the first and second Congolese wars, which really are the That's same That's crazy. Thing. And yeah. the news never covers it. We news know nothing about it. never covers it. I don't know a damn thing about it. Yeah. Uh, you know, Hotel Rwanda made one thing about the Rwandan genocide back in the day. I think 60% of Rwandan men were killed. <laughs> it's It's insane. So the question is, why this one? And I think one reasonable answer is that the U.S. sends a considerable sum of money to Israel. That's one, you know, okay, so we're involved. But... I don't hear that question even being asked. Like, why is our attention being directed here as opposed to anywhere else? Uh, And I don't necessarily have the answer, but I just know that if you think this is the trick that or the trap that I find myself falling into, if you watch the news and you go, I'm not going to fall for that, I'm not going to fall for that, you're still falling for it because they're still directing your attention at a particular crisis and framing it in such a way such that, if you pick either side, you're missing what I would say is the greater thing of like, why are we focusing our efforts and energies here as opposed to everywhere or anywhere else? Um, yeah, so just just interesting. I don't know why this one is so uh, such a darling of the American people slash the American news 
cycle, but it seems to be a perennial one that they perennially return to uh, as soon as several hundred people die, which is, of course, a tragedy, but several hundred people die in conflicts constantly all over the world, and the vast majority of them never never make it into the American news's consciousness. So, Yeah, I'm just running through hypotheses. Like One hypothesis would be it's because Israel is a U.S. ally, but I'm trying to think if there's an area where a U.S. ally has more deaths than this and we hear very little about it but the problem is you would i don't know (laughs) you know what i'm saying you gotta go to wikipedia and this is what i did i was like this is what i did with um when we were talking about cops i was like what kills most americans and cops aren't anywhere near the top they're not on the list for all practical purposes it's we talked about this it's diet and heart disease uh most of the top ones are related to diet and and then when you get to healthy people it's car accidents and suicide yes yes uh and I, I have a similar reaction with this, which is this does not seem like the news media is directing the American public's attention to solve uh, the most suffering in the world. So that does not seem to be how they have approached which stories they will frame and uh, how they will direct efforts to solve whatever crisis they're they're framing. I mean, we just ignore the, the Uyghurs. Yeah, like I, I yeah, kind of, but that's that's even one that you have you can say the name of. That's on the periphery because that is now a political kickball. Whenever you want to crap on China, you can just go. Ah, I know a word that makes that makes. Yeah, you but the no bad one guy. wants to do anything about it. I've never heard anyone in the U.S. propose doing anything to I fix actually, that situation. So I think that uh, the situation is is that the U.S. is being geared up for a soft end or hot war with China. And so now, like, if you look at anti-Chinese sentiment, not necessarily just Chinese people, anti-China sentiment, Mm -hmm. it is steeply risen. And I think that's why we get stories about Hong Kong and the Uyghurs. Uh, I don't think that, is Hong Kong the most important thing in the world that America can impact right now? Is it the the grossest violation of human rights? I sincerely doubt it. I actually don't know. But I think it might even be the other direction, honestly. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't know what's happening in, in, with the Uyghurs, but it's a massive amount of people being held in camps. Mm-hmm. If it's Nazi-esque concentration camps, then we're actually severely downplaying it in terms of the news coverage. I don't know what's happening in yeah, those yeah. camps. I've never been or seen drone I've footage like of it. A sixty minutes where they they pretend that it's a really nice place, and they. Well, this I, is what I'm saying. So maybe yeah. we're maybe we're get, gearing up for a hot war, and it's propaganda. But I also argue potentially we aren't ready for that war. And so we're just completely turning a blind eye to concentration games. Yeah. So I mean, what you hear us saying, which is frustrating, is we don't know the things that are not revealed to us about the world by the news. Because how could I? Uh, you can search, you know, uh, largest largest death tolls and, and maybe get some raw data that would point you in the right direction. And when I do that, it directs me away to the focus of the American news cycle every single time. So it's fun to talk about the news, but I just constantly have to remind myself. I was like, "This, this ain't it." Like you, I, I've, I always fall for it. Uh, and there's usually two levels of traps. There's, oh, I'm not, you know, the news is saying to like whatever, fill in the blank, the Palestinians slash the Israelis, but I really should like the other side. And the other trap is the news is framing my attention on this particular conflict when really I should focus over here. And that happened with. Uh, BLM versus police. It happened with all these things. And you could pick a side or you can go, why this? <laughs> why why this topic as opposed to something that is uh, more helpful, could alleviate more suffering if attention were focused mm-hmm. there? Well, it's interesting for a lot because I think some people do have ties to the area, right? If you're uh, sure. someone who has family in Palestine or someone who has family in Israel, 
But for a long time, at least for me, that's who cared about this conflict that has been happening for a very long time. I know people who care. It's Jewish people. American presidents have gone, I mean, they have Camp David Accords. I don't know that Americans are flying to Ethiopia for the Tigray. No, I agree. But normal Christian citizens have never, I think in my entire life, I've I've heard about about, this my whole life. Yeah, but you never cared. I see a lot of people who feel strongly one way or the other now. Oh, I see what you're saying. Well, what I saw, and I mentioned this to you, is that I went to school in Washington, D.C. And uh, at the time, it was the prevailing American sentiment was, I would describe as, Without understanding pro, without understanding the conflict, pro Israel, and now the I sentiment say, I would say very is, mildly pro Israel. It where I was in Washington D.C. with a bunch of young people, the difference was then it was pro Palestine, and then I think those kids, you think it's pro Palestine today. You're saying I think those kids grew up is what I'm saying, and I I think the side that you fall onto one there's the obvious tribal affiliations that you get whether you're Jewish or whether you're Muslim, and I think that's going to make it pretty pretty obvious uh, the direction that people will go. But there's also, it seems to be progressive, the progressive belief, which is, and some people, look, look, if you're out there and if you've studied this deeply, like count yourself out of it. But if you're getting your information from social media posts and you hadn't heard of it until it popped up, uh, I'm talking to you. You don't know what's going on there. And it is a tribal affiliation thing which, where now progressives are fiercely pro-Palestine uh, and conservatives are fiercely pro-Israel. And it just seems to have devolved into uh, tribal, yeah, strong like opinions. Again. Yeah, strong opinions without, without solid uh, education <laughs> that, that break down along tribal lines. And you go, well, this didn't have to happen, but here we go again with, like, with culture wars playing out in an area that they don't have to. But they do. Well, yeah, my, my thing is just, most of the people who are super strongly in either camp don't even couldn't even give you the chronology of what's happened. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like all the people that are aggressively pro-Palestine couldn't tell you that in 2005, Israel <laughs> ceded a bunch of land unilaterally as a good faith act. You know what I mean? And all the people who are pro-Israel couldn't tell you the time that Israel did something super fucked up. Mm-hmm. And that's to me is the most interesting point. It's like you guys, could, you can't even write out what happened to then look at it and decide okay, well, actually, like, this side did 10 fucked up things and this one did two fucked up things. You, do, you just don't know. That's the most interesting thing to me is they all these strong opinions based on something because you saw one photo. Yep. Oh, that's the other thing I wanted to bring up. This idea that people are like, oh, yeah, well, I know a person who's there. Or, oh, well, I saw a photo of a grieving father. I could, if I had an agenda, get 20 guests on this podcast who were all Palestinian who were super pro-Israel, who would tell you how fucked up Hamas is mm-hmm. and how horrific... Who were Palestinians who were super pro-Israel. Israel, yes. And I could, I could go ba 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 and just overwhelm you with anecdotal interviews of anti-Hamas Palestinians who think the Israeli government is just trying to get peace. And then I could come in with 10 ex-Israeli soldiers or something who could tell you about travesties that they witnessed. And it would be the strongest, most compelling anecdotal evidence... Because I would just put them one after the other. Mm -hmm. But in either case, I'm just getting 20 people or 10 people out of a million potential interviewers. And to get them, all I'd have to do is screen out a couple hundred people who didn't say what I wanted them to say. So that's the other thing that I think is interesting. People are making these extremely emotionally strong, I'm pro this side, I'm for this side, based on one photo or three interviews, as if that's 
a good way to learn what's happening mm-hmm. in an event that's so far away from you that you couldn't possibly know what's happening. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I, I mean, and the other thing is, oh, to what end? Like, okay, so there's going to be a handful of young Jewish Americans who join the Israeli Defense Force. And there's going to be a handful of, uh, you know, perhaps Arab Americans or even just others, you know, that are non-Jewish affiliated and non that, that go over and participate in peacekeeping activities or whatever. But the vast majority of people commenting and participating, what what is that level of participation indicating? And I think it's it's this tribal social thing that that you just have to affirm your allegiance to the in-group and you do that by when the in-group blows in a particular direction so do you <laughs> and that's what that's well, how you you also don't even hear the while quiet. recognizing that it will never come to your doorstep you know for for the majority of the of people but you also don't hear about the quiet dissenters either mm-hmm. like when we were doing when black lives matter was happening in la and people were posting black squares there were trump supporters who were who political beliefs wouldn't match their Instagram posts, mm-hmm. but just to fit in with their friend group, they actually make public declarations about things they don't believe because it's more important to fit into mm-hmm. the friend group than it is to represent yourself accurately. And I think that happens too. So you have all these progressives that are pro-Palestine, except for the progressives that aren't pro-Palestine, but just keep their mouths shut because they don't want to get kicked out. And then you have all these other people that are pro-Israel, except for the ones that aren't, but they keep their mouths shut because they don't want to get kicked out. Like yeah. the primary thing is just to, not get kicked out of your group. Well, that's, I think, a useful way. Like, if, if you just could uh, look at social media and have, like a, like, a Gaussian blur on your vision such that you couldn't read the text and you just saw, like, I'm blue team and, like, I'm red team. And that would be a more useful way to view social media as opposed to claims about reality, which people, if pressed, I think would have to admit they have no basis for making. We don't even agree with what I'm saying. I'm saying they're what they're shouting is I'm blue team. Yeah, yeah. I don't agree with blue team though. I'm just mm. shouting I'm blue team because my friends are yeah, blue yeah. team. No, no. Well, and I just want to keep my friends. And they agree. I will do what it takes to be blue team is kind of, I think. And if that includes agreeing with blue team, I agree with it. No, but you know, you know people who voted for Trump and then just lie about it when they're asked. Sure, sure. Um, I guess... They literally vote for Trump. And then when asked, they just, they just lie. They go, I didn't vote or I voted for Biden. Or, yeah, yeah. Like they just actually go out and try to make the world one. <laughs> they make this guy the president and then yeah. lie about it to stick with their group. So yes. they're shouting on blue team, but they're not. But with a sl- with an action towards red team yeah. objectives. Yeah, I see what you're saying there. Um, I mean, I, I'm reminded of, I don't, uh, <laughs> you having dated someone that was on the religious team and the, mm-hmm. you know, going to church all the time, but very early in the relationship made a decision to have premarital sex with you. And there was, you know, that same sort of dynamic going on, which was constant discussion about uh, being religious and, and being involved in that and also constant going against a primary tenet of the the doctrine the doctrine as she understood it. Mm-hmm. And I think that all of this stuff seems very confusing as if you're go like, what are, wait, what do these people believe? What do they really think about the world? But when you go, oh, what these people are doing is they're signaling social allegiances and then getting away with what they can on the side, mm-hmm. it, everything just kind of makes a bunch more sense. Yeah, like, yeah. Like, well, yeah, I want to have premarital sex, but I don't <laughs> want my family to potentially be mad at me. Yeah. So I'm going to keep being religious and just slowly do less of what 
actually makes someone religious. Mm-hmm. Without ever saying I'm not religious, without ever even without thinking, ever believing it, without yeah. ever believing, like yeah. that's that's the efforts that our minds go to to keep us safe on our teams. Is mm-hmm. they're like I'm not even going to let you be aware of the fact that you don't believe the tenets required to be part of this team because you need to be part of this team, yeah. <laughs> come hell or high water. So even when you're going to act against it, I'm going to convince you that it doesn't count or it doesn't matter or that just like we'll hide that in our subconscious. Very yeah. Survival and, and allegiances seem to be what drives all of this. And uh, yeah, it, it actually just makes me calm down and go, oh, these are not a bunch of foreign policy experts on social media. These are just people that have friends that they need to affirm allegiances with. And, yeah. you know, it also makes it increasingly the people that I like, the, I like talking to the most and respect the most, the people that can hold one progressive opinion in one area and one conservative opinion in another area. Mm-hmm. And it just makes me increasingly unimpressed by the people who are just always down the fairway with what everybody else believes mm-hmm. on every issue, despite the fact that they're so unrelated. Yeah. Yep. I'm trying to see if I have, I have a lot of stuff, but I'm trying to see if I have anything that is related to this or just a hard pivot. Do you have anything? Hard pivot, dude. Oh gosh, there's so many. There's uh, This is going to be just a series of hard pivots. Here's one that's lighter. Uh, you and I have spoken about this, but I wanted to share it on the podcast. I was in the gym the other day without Ben <laughs> and these two, I want to say anywhere from 18 to 22-year-old guys came in. One of them was built like I am, but an inch or two shorter. And he and his friend were screaming is an exaggeration, shouting. Oh, yeah, when I do dips, I always do two plates. And, you know, just talking about, like, he's built like me. And he's doing double-plated weighted dips, which is just like, I might be able to squeak those out, but certainly not with good form. And as I looked over at this this young gentleman... Form was not in his vocabulary. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like whatever it was required, and he was doing all machines, you know, classic. And at one point, I was like, okay, he's just he's just talking loud. At one point, he put so many uh, forty five pound plates on the what is it called? It's called the it's the squat machine where you're. What is that called? Leg press. Yeah, leg press. Um, he puts he he puts a lot of the weights nearby, and there's plenty of other plates in the gym. And he starts shouting. We need more plates. Are there more plates? Does anyone have more plates? Like, and non-ironically goes up to the staff very loudly asking for more plates. He's got legs that are the size of mine. And if you can't see them, they're not impressive. He gets on the machine. He's got both of his hands on his knees to press it up. Is barely going down. Curly, like, is breaking everything he can to move the weight. And... I, I just, and then, you know, we were, you came another day and there was a, a kid, same age group, uh, doing the, doing the bag Good. and just cursing at the bag. Like, you like that bitch? Boom, boom. Yeah. <laughs> and he didn't. Oh, have is that it. your chin? <laughs> Not anymore. And then he would throw a punch and hurt his elbow and go, ooh, ah, ooh. And then he'd say, oh yeah, you like that? And he'd throw a kick and then he'd go, oh, I hurt my foot on that one. And I was watching this. It, it hurts my soul, man. Since I trained a little bit in this stuff, like when I see people doing that, I'm just like, oh, please but don't think you're a good fighter. You're going to get beat up. In both cases, there was no self-awareness. And these not, these were not done ironically. There was no hidden camera. No, no. These were these were genuine expressions of that level of 18 to 22-year-old confidence. And I was like, how does this happen? One, because I look back and I was like, I, I'm sure I exhibited a lot of those traits at that age. And I think... A big reason for it and an unintended consequence of college is that we pump up the egos of 18 to 22-year-old men Mm -hmm. because the cap on their experience or of their social hierarchy is the senior who is 21 or 22 years old 
and is the coolest person in their social sphere. Mm -hmm. But what they don't realize, and this is when we left college, all of the cool seniors went out to get cool banking jobs in New York, and they all broke up with their girlfriends because they were ready to take over the world. And within six months, the vast majority were begging to get back with their college girlfriends because they were not shit in New York City. And it just made me, I was piecing all this together and I realized that like college is this bubble that we create to make 18 to 22 year old men feel confident so that they don't start riots. Well, I also think (laughs) just because of how annoying these, the one time I was there, at least how annoying sometimes some of these people can be, uh, it also helps separate them from society (laughs) so that I can work out without a 19 year old kid shouting about plates. You know what I mean? Like just all go, you all go shout together and then you go, flirt with 19 year old women and you just go be by yourselves. And then we'll be over here not being assholes. And you'll grow out of this once you're 23, get into the real world and get humbled. Yes. And I mean, I I remembered this from, from college. All these stories were coming back to me. Uh, In college, the, the, the way that the world works is when a girl who is say an attractive senior graduates college and moves into the real world in New York she is incredibly desirable to just about everybody. When she And she doesn't know it yet. So when she shows up and the, the promoter invites her out to the club and she's like, oh, how much? And he's like, no, it's free. He's, oh, great. What about dinner? No, that's free too. She has, upon graduating, not realized the lengths that the world will go to in order to include her. Mm-hmm. And the yeah, hey, these guys, hey, these guys are paying 10 grand for a table. Do you want to come in for free next to them and drink yeah. for free? And, yeah. and drink for free and get everything for free. It's all and yours. Like no You're, obligation. By the way, we'll to take even, you to dinner beforehand. You don't even have to speak to them. Yep. That's how valuable your presence is. And then men graduate college and they've dated these girls and been around them. And these girls have really had crushes on them. And they show up at the door. And it's like, get the hell, like, no one wants you around. Yeah, unless you're going to pay 10 grand for the table. Which you're not, because you're a 22-year-old guy. And I think one of the things that college does is it creates a space where 18 to 22-year-olds are not competing with 22 to 30-year-old men and beyond. Well, this is something I didn't understand when I was in college. When I was in college, I thought the most attractive age for a man was 25. (laughs) <laughs> you know what I mean? I just thought that was the fact. So I was like, okay, I'm 20. The girl I like is 20. But if you had us in the real world, it would just be me competing with a guy who is 25. It didn't occur to me. And maybe this is only because of, I live in major cities, but in New York, Rio, LA, that the most attractive guy is in his thirties mm-hmm. and he has a giant house in Malibu or bought a table. Cause it means nothing to him. He didn't scrape together 10 friends to do it for a night. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it also didn't occur to me that the, beautiful 22-year-old woman is totally comfortable with that 11-year age gap a lot of the times. And maybe there's some women who aren't, but I I really didn't understand how far a man's attractiveness extended in terms of years. You know what I mean? I thought it was like 25 and then you slowly downhill from there. Mm -hmm. And upon getting into the world and getting older and seeing it, it's like, oh yeah, if we didn't have college campuses... It would be... Life would be a lot harder for 21-year-old men. Yeah. Well, and I think, I'm not sure that it's a bad thing. Uh, like, it it creates a space where you can be really cool, have a girlfriend your age, uh, test some things, and not just be completely excluded from society, which if we're being real, you have no older money, men have no, no interest in 18 to 22-year-old men. And, and I think you'd see a tremendous amount of women in that age bracket start dating older, maybe not 30, maybe 25, maybe 26, but everyone 
would collectively be sick of 18 to 22 oh, especially men. especially like the 19 year old so you and i say n- this as a former 18 to 22 year old man this is not meant to uh shade or say that you're a bad person in this age and you'll you'll experience this i i lived in a nine person house and you know rode rode i had a great job too at the time i rode the metro to work and ate canned beans and and an avocado that was my splurge like people didn't want to be uh, around me because there was not a lot that I could do for them at that time. And that was why charisma became such an important thing because it was like the one differentiator Mm -hmm. in that age group that was in my direct immediate control and I didn't have to wait years to invest in. And I think as I look back on my life, that was why I was so insanely focused on charisma is because in American society, not in a malicious or evil way, the men of that age are really not valued highly mm-hmm. not to say that we're treated like trash or anything but just people would just rather be talking to a woman that age or an older more established man uh, or an older more established woman um and so yeah yeah it's like oh i better learn to be really interesting with the words that i use because if i'm not no uh, there's there's going to be no hanging out with anybody mm-hmm. nobody wants to, nobody wants to spend time with me and it is interesting that we really got into really got into it Upon leaving the cloister of college, that was when we were like, oh, this is this is when it has the most dramatic effect because it's the difference between being invited and not being invited. No, it's the difference between free free bottle service every day versus you're not allowed in. Yeah. So anyways, I don't think that those young guys realize they had that effect on my (laughs) (laughs) my thinking. Uh, And just to be clear, like. I probably did similar things. I probably had a similarly uh, inflated ego based on my surroundings and probably hormones and all the other sorts of things that go into that that cocktail. So I get it. <laughs> I just I was I was kind of observing it from a different perspective for the first time. Uh, I have a bunch. Do you want me to? You can keep going. I mean, one thing I had that I don't know if we're going to talk about. Coffeezilla's YouTube channel was deleted. You for a minute, about that? yeah, for a minute. <laughs> just thought it was interesting. Yeah. That he didn't break any rules, but on accident, they took his livelihood away. And then they decided that under their good graces, they would give it back. Yeah. That was interesting to see as someone who runs a YouTube channel. Yeah. I mean, look, we don't own it. That's the truth. Yeah. It's uh, it's by the grace of the YouTube gods that we continue to have an income. And should they take that away, we're in trouble. We've talked about, for our business, trying to find what we've called a dual engine, like a different way of getting attention and eyeballs and traffic. But if up to now, not been tremendously successful mm-hmm. at it. Like we we understand YouTube in a way that we don't understand a lot of the other modes of communication. So well, we are fragile. The other thing I thought was interesting is it, if his hypothesis is correct, his YouTube channel got taken down because he came out critical of Dogecoin mm-hmm. and then Dogecoin fans decided Asked to take reported. him down. Yeah, And I don't, I was just, I'm, not, I'm only 33, so maybe I just wasn't aware of it. But it seems like today disagreeing with someone is considered an egregious sin. <laughs> so when if you own Dogecoin and you think Dogecoin is good and someone says Dogecoin is bad, you could imagine a world where the reaction is, that sucks for that person. They're going to miss out on a lot of money. But instead, the reaction is, we got to take this person down. They're evil. They're the enemy. And I don't know if that's always been the case or not, but I just thought it was interesting. His big sin was saying something they didn't agree with. Maybe, maybe. It was that video we know that was removed. But what's interesting is that if you look at traditional hedge fund manipulators, they would – well, I guess Doge is doing it too. 
um, they would counter signal, right? They would want people to think, oh no, like the economy is going to tank, you know, like mm-hmm. so that they could tr- trade in the opposite direction, which I suppose is what the smartest people in Doge are doing is they're signaling diamond hands, diamond hands, diamond hands, and waiting for a particular time to exit where they're going to make a lot of, a lot of money. So I was going to say that it's different, but it's, it's very similar for the sharks. Yes. But if you have faith in, so let's put it this way. When, when we started Charisma on Command, there were people we were close to that we were friends with that didn't think it was a good idea. And my reaction to that was, okay, we'll see. I'm, I'm, and then I just went and built an asset and it was successful and that was great, right? Mm-hmm. I didn't hate them or try to take them down because they disagreed. Because I was trying to make my, I was just going to create something that was hopefully good. And Yeah, you know this. There's no inherent value in uh the Dogecoin cryptocurrency. Well, this is kind of what I was saying is if your bet is this particular cryptocurrency is going to be the currency of the future and it's going to have a multi-trillion dollar market cap and I'm going to, each one's going to be worth a hundred grand. Only if, if nobody ever says anything bad about it, that's the bet is that if, if I can get everybody to believe, then it will be. And that is true. Not everyone has to believe though. This is what I'm saying. When, when, when the car came out and everyone said horses are better, you didn't have to go slander horses. You just had to make a really better alternative. Yes, but uh, money... Look, the dollar is not the best mode of storing value in currency. It's just the one that everyone believes in. Mm-hmm. And so there are... With currencies, there is the sense of like, you don't have to be better. We just have to be well, widely believed. Well, I actually think this is the difference. People... There's people who are just going to hold cryptocurrencies for 20 years. Mm-hmm. And there's people who are trying to make money this month. Mm-hmm. I think the people who are furious are the people trying to make money this month. And they're not actually betting on it as a useful technology. Sure. And the people who are just in it for the long haul and bought it two years ago and are holding for 10 years. I don't think years, the Winklevoss twins who bought Bitcoin is, in 20, I don't know, 11, 12, 13 are involved in any mass reporting plans. I, I don't think they just hang out. And, no, so I just thought it was interesting. It's like, oh yeah, we're going we're gonna to try to cancel this and shut this down because it doesn't agree with us yeah and we need everyone to agree with us because there's not necessarily any value in this Mm -hmm. if people don't agree oh it's indicative of yeah it's indicative of their underlying belief yeah that's kind of not a ton of faith in the value of of this that it can't stomach a youtube video criticizing so i just this was um i watched i told you i watched that video china's reckoning and it had the first three parts which we talked about in a previous podcast but the fourth part came out and it basically was this it was like, look, this is in the world when people are hypersensitive, you see that that recognizes a deep recognition of their frailty and insecurity. And we know this. Yet when we see it in China, we don't have that same reaction. And this person's claim was China's sensitivity around these small things. And if you list Taiwan in your list of countries, and that's some egregious sin, and you're not allowed to have. Uh, any depiction of the Dalai Lama in a Marvel movie, so you got to make the enlightened one a white woman from Ireland. <laughs> you know, like their insane sensitivity around that is indicative of what they know to be a, a deep weakness uh, in in their position. Now they are more powerful than they were ten years ago, certainly, but this person argues that with you know the demographic thing that we talked about and their unwillingness to really go hard back on the one-child policy. Um, and with the number of these particular projects that they talked about in this short documentary, it's like a total of an hour and 20 minutes with all four parts, 
there's this big water project that they're running and it's cost billions and billions of dollars. And this person says, look, you could just raise the price of water and that would affect supply and demand immediately. Instead, they're diverting all this stuff. But the habit of China, according to this creator, is that they cannot admit that they've done something wrong. Mm. So when they when they have committed to a crappy path, which is an advantage of the way that they do things, they have the long-term vision. One of the built-in disadvantages of that is that their egos are often on the line. Mm. And so whereas America is flighty and Obamacare, and now it's Biden care, but we're going to cancel that when Trump comes in, there's there's not an invested, oh, this is on me if this yeah, yeah. fails. But then we go back and forth all the time. They have this problem of not being able to uh, admit that they've made poor decisions. Well, that, you, mentioning ego is interesting to me because I, when I think of macro politics, I think of the strength of a country mattering more than, oh yeah, their leadership is a little bit big egoed. Who cares? But then you were telling me about World War II and color. Do you want to talk about this a little bit? Sure. <laughs> I didn't realize how the ego of a leader can submarine an entire country's future. Yeah. So I, re- I really enjoyed it. Um, I, I often talk down about documentaries and, you know, as, as I do the news, but I still participate in both. So uh, this is on Netflix. I do like it. Documentaries that are older, I tend to be more interested in. I recognize anything made in America is going to have a pro-America slant. So I try to keep that in mind. But just the basics of World War II, which I think almost anyone in the world would agree with, are fascinating in it. Like, I don't even need to get into the controversial stuff to, to be fascinated. But Stalingrad was what I think you're referring to in one thing. Uh, so I could, oh my gosh, so much cool stuff from this documentary. But Hitler is trying to get, I believe, a warm water port as he invades Russia, which he did, shouldn't have done. <laughs> but he could have won. But on the way to this warm water port, out of the way, there's a river, and on the river is the town of Stalingrad, which obviously Stalin named for himself. And Hitler says, we have to take that. That's where I want you to to intercept uh, uh the flow of goods up and down the river. He could have gone down the river quite easily, set up a blockade, no problem, no city, no fortifications, taken it. But he wants to go to Stalingrad. Yeah. Stalin he says, because he hates Stalin. Stalin says, not one step back, we're defending Stalingrad because it's got his name in it. And for strategic purposes, it actually made more sense because after you get pushed back from that last stronghold on the river, it's just open plains until the Ural Mountains. And what was fascinating is, is if there's a ton of... Uh, specifics of this but this was a huge turning point in the war where the germans were turned back and would not they could not break through the last line of defense eventually got surrounded uh ego of the i think what was his name the guy who was in charge of the luftwaffe i forget his name right now but he throughout the war according to this documentary just kept talking up the luftwaffe first at dunkirk they had a uh, if you've seen the movie dunkirk Germans barged through France, which, by the way, they did while on methamphetamine, which is incredible. That's why the Blitzkrieg worked, because they were on meth and they stayed up for three days in a row. <laughs> so they, they got there really fast. They were able to rip through France because they just never slept. And they, like, they, you know, no problem with violence, like, no empathy. They just ripped through it on three days of meth, <laughs> which the French couldn't understand, uh, and eventually push the British troops back to Dunkirk. They have a land army here, and they can crush them, but the leader of the Luftwaffe says, no, 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 we're going to take care of it. And the RAF from England flies over and is able to give enough cover, keep the Luftwaffe off, and I think 400,000 British soldiers are able to escape because of this guy's ego. That was, that was the story I was thinking. Crazy. They could have just crushed it. They're like, no, we want to crush it in this particular we way to show because the, of yeah, our egos. Yes. And Britain went, all right, well, we're just going to 
get these guys out. We're going to get cool rid of you. Them. Oh, yeah. that's cool with you. All right. <laughs> so thanks for the giant egos. Later on, this guy says, don't worry. Uh, the, the invading force of Stalingrad gets here. They get uh, eventually surrounded come fall slash winter. Uh, mostly fall is what this documentary says. It says that the winter contributing has been over-exaggerated, that they lost. So they get surrounded by, um, I think, Romanians and other... No, not Romanians. Romanians were on the other side. doesn't matter. They get surrounded. And the Luftwaffe guy says, don't worry, we can airdrop enough supplies in. My Luftwaffe are awesome. They can't get a tenth of the supplies needed to airdrop to these guys. These guys are going, can we please surrender? Can we please punch through? Can No, no, no. Stay and fight. We have to take Stalingrad, and the Luftwaffe is really, really good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and just, they get decimated, completely destroyed. They Many of them freeze and starve to death. Uh, and as you go through this documentary, there's just so many instances of one man's ego turning the course of the war. Well, I don't know if it turned the course of the war, but wasn't there a moment in time where Hitler had two rules? One is, don't wake me up, which is fine. That's fair. Mm-hmm. You're the leader. Yeah, there's yeah. always something going wrong. But yeah. two was... Our absolute best division yeah. can only hear instructions directly from me. Yeah. So I not. Know. By the way, if I'm sleeping, my second in command is good enough. Yeah. So there was on D-Day, uh, it happened at whatever six-ish a.m. in in France. I think it was like may have been Hitler wasn't up to nine a.m. Essentially, in whatever time zone he was in, which was one or two over, and people were too afraid to wake him to tell him that D-Day had occurred. In addition, like you said, he had exclusive control of one of the panzer divisions that was stationed nearby and was an elite panzer division. Uh, not that it would have necessarily turned the course of the war, but like they couldn't wake up the leader and they couldn't get control of these tanks. No, it's just a fascinating and, story. And the other guy who was their second in command. What's the – God, I'm forgetting all their names. Uh, Rommel. Rommel apparently was unreachable as well because he went home for his wife's birthday. <laughs> it's just like all these crazy, crazy things. And I could I could go on and on. The Battle of Midway has the most ridiculous turns in it, as does Pearl Harbor, where which is why there were aircraft carriers that survived because they blew up all of these battleships, except the aircraft carriers happened to be out that day. And then they won at the Battle of Midway through ridiculous strokes of chance and uh, you know, skill as well. But it's it's a crazy good eight-ish hours yeah. of... I, no, I definitely... Pl- I plan on watching the whole thing, but it's just what you said about China reminded me because I can imagine myself listening to this saying, well, China's ego, that's not going to matter. What mm-hmm. matters is your economic output and your... It's like, no, actually, you a leader's ego can absolutely change the course of history. Yeah, especially when, when he's got dictator-like control, you know? Yeah, so I just thought that was interesting. That's a lesson I took from the s- stories about World War II that you were telling me about, mm-hmm. just how how much that can change the course of something. So when you say China's ego might be their downfall, it's much easier for me to believe, yeah. having reflected on the stories about Germany in World War II. Yeah. Well, I, 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 this is all beyond me. I'm mostly just saying what I've watched and what it made me think. So I don't, I don't know if any of this is true, but it is interesting that, yeah, that, that what would we perceive, at least in America, as an extreme sensitivity to criticism. Like if you, if you depict uh, Xi Jinping as Winnie the Pooh, that is you're dead. <laughs> that's that's the end of you uh, if, if they ever get a hand. Like, I will never, to be clear, I'm never going to China. After this podcast, which doesn't get a tremendous amount of views, I will never in my life go to China because I understand that that could put my life in jeopardy. Yeah, I might for, never come back. For these things that I have said, that they're sensitive. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Know, would, would get me. <laughs> you guys are sensitive. We're not sensitive. Right. And because you said that, you will die. We are strong. Yeah. And it's, it's like, wow, if, if this were happening... Uh, at a singular individual level, we would go, that person is compensating. 
is what we would say. So that's that's sort of the argument that this guy makes in his video. Mm. Uh, but yeah, what else we got? Kind of awesome. This is a random one we haven't talked about. I just saw, who knows if it's true, but five vaccinated Ohioans will be chosen at random to win a million dollars. <laughs> yeah. Any Ohioan who has received at least one shot of the COVID vaccine is eligible. Also, uh, oh no, I, I can't remember if they were going to say this or not. But anyway, so we'll just stop there. I think that's a that's an awesome way to do it because people love lotteries. So if you just took that and divided it by the population of Ohio and you said everyone who gets vaccinated is going to get this insignificant yeah, yeah. sum of money, no one would care. But you just tell people, hey, the chance that you win this is so small that your brain can't possibly comprehend how you, you will not win this. Mm-hmm. But there's a chance <laughs> you get a million dollars. It'll be interesting to see if... Uh, I loved it. Yeah, yeah, if per dollar more people participate than or less people than the actual lottery. You know what I mean? Yes. You're saying uh, if the if the fact you have to get a vaccine instead of paying to... Well, I guess some people, it's not really a fair comparison because some people just had the vaccine, didn't need this this bribe. I wonder how many people this bribe moves is what I'm saying. And I don't really have a hypothesis. I don't, I'm not sure. I just thought, listen, I'm, I'm actually pretty neutral on if people should get vaccinated or not. Um, I know it's like super controversial because there's this idea that if everyone doesn't get it, then COVID can variant. But uh, I don't know. We live in a country where we let people make their own decisions for a lot of things. So I feel like letting people make their own decisions for this makes sense. Mm-hmm. But if you wanted to get people to vaccinate, I think it's an awesome policy. Yeah. So I yeah. liked it a lot. I hope it works. I uh, I don't know how people value that, but I, it's, I'll be curious to see the data. I think it's a very good idea. I think the one thing that would make it go better is if you pulled the name, then you looked up if they had been vaccinated or not, but either way you called them. <laughs> and then you recorded the call. <laughs> and then you publish it. Because all you need is one guy saying, oh uh, yeah, is Charlie Hooper here? Uh, yep, that's me. Oh, congratulations. Your name was pulled. You would win a million dollars because you got vaccinated. You got vaccinated, right? Uh, Oh, wait, let me check the system. Oh, you didn't. Oh, okay. Sorry. Uh, Well, we'll talk to you later and just hang up and have it recorded and then publish it on YouTube or something. People would just stampede out because you don't want to be that guy. You know what I mean? That's gut-wrenching for that guy. I think all of a sudden you'd see Ohio vaccines just shoot everyone 100%. If if that story If they did that, yeah. Yeah, the FOMO. That would go nationwide too. You know how how well, widely that covered that would to, be. That speaks to the difference between uh, the promise of an advantage and the fear of missing out. It, like the fear of missing out would move people so much more intensely. Oh yeah, I used to do this. I dude, I know the math. Lotteries are stupid. In New York and in investment banking, anytime it hit a certain amount of money, the office would pool money together to buy tickets for the office, and then if we won, which we never did, we would split it. And I always threw money in. And my thought was, I would much rather just burn this over the course of a year, hundred bucks. Let's then say. have every one of my then friends. Then be the one person in the office. Are you kidding? <laughs> Nine of my friends quit because they're all rich, oh, and no, I got to show up the next day that's in my an insurance suit and policy against absolutely hating. That's yourself. what it was. Yeah. So I'm gonna just I'm gonna pay hundred bucks a year. Yeah. To not show up one day. Yeah. And hate myself. I wouldn't have organized this. Like I wouldn't have. No, I don't want this. us to buy yeah. this. But if we're gonna go around, hey, you yeah. want to chip in? Yeah, I'm gonna chip in. For my sanity's sake. <laughs> yeah, that would, that would be awful. Devastating. Yeah. So that was it. It was just insurance. And we never won. It was worth it. <laughs> do you want me to do the next one? Do you have others? I got stuff, dude. We haven't talked in so long. I mean, this is a small one. Did you see the Jake Paul and Floyd Mayweather got your hat fiasco? Mm-hmm. I think it's really interesting how our pre-existing biases about people colors how we view events because... That was a boxing event where a kid took someone's hat 
and then a 40-something-year-old professional boxer and his gigantic <laughs> bodyguards sucker punched that kid. And everyone went, uh, well, we love it. Sucker, we love sucker it. punch is a little bit exaggerated. Sucker punch would be if he threatened to take the hat. He did, look, if somebody touches you and grabs something off your person. Dude, if we were out at a bar and someone took my hat from my head <laughs> and said, gotcha hat, and I punched him in the face. Yeah, that would be that would you be. You would pull totally me aside yeah. and say, "Dude, what the fuck is wrong with you? Yeah, yeah. What is going on?" For sure. Like you would never say that was normal. Now, what if we were at a bar, and I had five friends with me, and someone took my hat and said, "Got your hat," and my friends grabbed that guy's arms so he couldn't defend himself, and then I punched him in the face. Mm -hmm. You would tell me I was out of my mind. Sure. That's what happened, and everyone said, "Jake Paul deserved it." Yeah, it was awesome. At the same time, if somebody did take your hat, and I, uh, yeah, look, there there are times if Dude, this just kid in, it at a bar, I'll pretend. Okay, there's a guy in a bar. He's being an asshole for I don't know how long. Let's pretend that he's been uh, online following you and saying shit about. No, you they were cool for months. That's that's not the case with Jake Paul. Him and Floyd were cool. Okay, there's there's stories of Floyd saying Jake's the real deal. I respect what he's doing in boxing. I could see someone being such a nuisance in a bar setting that the final straw i agree the removal of the hat and you you called i agree it's just not what happened <laughs> yeah i just think it was interesting we uh, the we struggled to view events objectively that's that was just a lesson in, in like this is just a guy taking a hat and then getting beaten up by a pro fighter and his bodyguards it wasn't just if it was just floyd or something it would have been one thing i just thought i said well i can't believe that this is coming out that jake's the bad guy and i don't like jake paul i have no affinity with like I've never met the guy, not a huge fan of his, but when I watch it without really having an opinion of it, it seemed crazy to me. Yeah, sure. That that's where it shook out. Yeah, I understand, but I, I guess I I can see more than one perspective on it. He's the Jake Paul's the type of guy, and this is what people bring to it that needs to be punched in the face in order for him to stop. You know what I mean? It's not like, gonna make him stop. He made a ton of money off. Sure, that. sure. That's He's just gonna him. continue. He's just like you will, like you will continue being a mild pest. Until you get an in uh, inappropriate reaction from the world, you know what I mean. Like, and uh, I remember this: my roommate in college was the guy who would deliver the inappropriate reactions. Like, there'd be people who would sit up on balconies as people were walking by and like throw shit at them. And like, the appropriate reaction is like, "Dude, what the hell?" And my call, he would find them and deliver justice. <laughs> like, <laughs> kick down their door. He would do ridiculous things, and the sense of it that I had at the time was semi-similar to Jake, which I, I, yeah, Floyd probably shouldn't have punched him though, uh, is this is a small thing, but you keep doing it and these keep adding up and eventually there's this disproportionate reaction, which you go, okay, fine. Like for the hat, wasn't worth it, but for, for being a pain <laughs> beforehand, sure. So I don't know if Jake falls into that category, but I've, I've had these thoughts before about, because I was never the guy who would deliver the inappropriate amount of justice. I was just the guy who went, took my hat, dude. You're a dick. Mm -hmm. So, I don't know. Anything else? Not on that. I just thought it was interesting that you're allowed to sucker punch a kid as a pro boxer and be lauded for it on the internet. Yeah. Was he? I don't know what the reaction was. Yeah. Pretty pretty solidly supported. Pretty solid. Say. Let me see what else I have. You want to talk about Melinda Gates and Bill Gates? Oh, my gosh. There's so much, man. We're going to, yeah, let's do it. They're getting divorced. <laughs> There's a lot of angles to take, but I just wanted to read you their public statement because I thought you would like it. After a great deal of thought and a lot of work, we have made the decision to end our marriage. 
and I know that you love the fact that marriage takes work. Oh, so is that I thought I would, so I thought this would I would bring it up publicly. I don't know. I don't uh, I don't know what goes on. I watched the Bill Gates documentary. I watched them talk. I, the one thing that you did send me, which I, which you knew would make my blood boil. Yeah, I like to make your blood boil. Was um, what we had discussed previously on the podcast was how Bill met Melinda at Microsoft. Asked her on a date. She said no. Asked her again. And in the documentary and with that is a successful courting because Bill's eventually, and in my, this is my opinion, the reason that that is treated uh, as a good thing and not a bad thing is because Bill eventually signed a contract to give her half of his stuff. If Bill had asked her out, slept with her a few times, and then not dated yeah, her. Then it'd be a power imbalance. That would be a horrible power imbalance. Yeah. And I heard no, for 25 years, I didn't hear a single intimation that there was a problem with mm -hmm. the way that Bill and Melinda got together. I, I was watching this and went, mm, today that's not so cool, but I guess it is. Now that they're divorced, the first divorcing, they're not even divorcing the first business insider that you send me calls into question the power imbalance. You mm -hmm. know, it was and I go, this is messed up. Like, we see who you're batting for right here. That uh, yeah, it's just messed up. It's just messed up that the power balance can be overlooked when it's breaking in favor of the desired party of the journalist, uh, or at least is not infringing in in whatever I don't know allegiance they may feel. Mm -hmm. uh, and yeah, now you're going to start hearing that it, that that's a problem the way that they met, and it wasn't when. He had agreed to give her half of his stuff, which he will soon follow through on, probably a third, if the Jeff Bezos plan is anything to be. Mm -hmm. And I also think, and this is, I, I don't know what she will do, and I don't know what kind of a human she is, and I don't know what kind of a human Bill is, but depending on her contribution at Microsoft, which I know she did work there, I think that the moral thing to do is to take an amount of money that you can point to and say this is my contribution or this is what i would have earned had i not slept with this individual and signed this contract uh you know what would i have gotten at microsoft off my own merit and i think Mackenzie bezos should have done the same thing and i would say the same if it broke women to men in the other direction and perhaps you shouldn't add into that okay what career sacrifices did i make and what amount of money did i forego mm -hmm. in order to contribute to the marriage because i didn't work and i did all this oh, you should definitely is, do that you should absolutely include that mm -hmm. uh what you what do think, i deserve you don't be, think if she hadn't met bill she would make 50 billion dollars i think if she takes that kind of money that is a moral crime i think it's i think this is like when i see these divorce settlements they in my mind are uh What's the word? Inconscionable. I think I think it's it's societally lauded, approved theft. Can I give you a counter argument? Sure. When Robert Downey Jr. does Iron Man one, huge success, goes back to Marvel Studios, negotiates a new contract, mm -hmm. gets a a bunch more pay. That's just considered cool because he negotiated well. If they don't have a prenup, then Melinda Gates just negotiated her contract well. Sure, sure. And you know what? I think that that's, uh, this is my problem with capitalism or one of my big problems is that it, it values contracts so dearly and not value creation. This actually is something we've this kind is, of this hinted at. This is my fundamental at. problem with we've capitalism. We've hinted at, but we've never spelled this out. People, so socialists argue that capitalism is 
bad because it leads to people getting money that they, uh, too much money. Super simplifying. Capitalists argue that it's good because capitalism rewards you for creating value. And I agree with that to a point. But capitalism really rewards you for writing good contracts. Because if you can start a business with somebody, if Mark Zuckerberg had a 50-50 equity partner who just bounced after six months and they wrote a contract that just said 50-50 equity, no, nothing bad happens if you leave, Mark would have $100 billion. (laughs) And so would that guy. And it's not about who created the value. Because you would argue from the capitalist perspective, Mark created Two hundred billion. This is the difference with your Robert Downey thing. Is the reason that I would argue he can negotiate that ongoing? Oh no, I agree too. Is because he is bringing that much no, value. I agree with that. Like he is selling that many tickets. Uh, his presence that is, and go get go get another Robert Downey Jr. Yeah, yeah, I'm saying the divorce can be unfair, but it's not a robbery in the sense that it actually operates exactly like our business world. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Our business world just straight up always says, but I you're allowed Listen, to take advantage of people. In contrast. Sure, we talked about this. Uh, David Dobrik, one of the things that I, I don't want to jump on the David Dobrik train because he was down, but before he was down, this was a problem that I had with him and I, <laughs> uh, was that on his Views podcast, he, he was talking about a sponsorship that he was like in the midst of signing the contract and then they like lost money and went under, but he was so upset because if he'd signed the contract, they would have had to have given him money without him having done the sponsorship. And to yep. me, that's like, don't take the money. You, that that desire is awful. Is is don't you don't deserve that money. You didn't do what you said you were going to do. Mm-hmm. Like you don't, you wish you had a contract so you could extract money. That's that's what this feels like to me. And I and it's not just in marriage where this occurs. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, this no, is No, it occurs it occurs all over the place. This is just how the US works. You get a contract that screws somebody. That's how it works. Sure. And I think that that's wrong and I think that um if you are the beneficiary and if, if I am the beneficiary of a contract that I do not deserve the rewards to, that I would not exercise that and instead give it back, you know? Um, and so we've talked about this with, with our business, which is, you know, okay, we have a contract that says we're 50-50 owners and we get 50-50 of the profits. Is that appropriate given what we've brought to the business versus mm-hmm. what some of our employees have brought to the business, given the risks that we've taken versus some of the risks that they've taken. Well, we're no, now we're no longer 50, 50. Someone has 7% exactly. of it. And so, and we, and to be clear, we could have hardball negotiated him. I think easily to, to none. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, he's a, su- he's a super nice guy. Loves yeah. the business, loves the team and does well outside of the company yes. with investing. So I don't think, he, but it, but I think it feels the amount that he has right now feels appropriate. I agree to, to his thing. So in any event, um, yeah, it's not just marriage. It's not just Melinda. It's not just Mackenzie. It's it's any sort of, oh, I have a contract that says I'm owed this. Therefore, I'm going to do it. I think that's messed up and I wish people wouldn't do it. And uh, I hope that I don't do it in my own life. So that's all. Did you want to say more about Bill? Not on that. No. I'm just, we're just going rapid fire, dude. I just <laughs> have three weeks of topics to catch up on. Sure. Uh, this was just a random little one. California is suggesting eliminating gifted math classes. Uh, and the reason is because in California in 2004 to 2014, 32% of Asian American students were in gifted programs compared with 8% of white students, 4% of black students, and 3% of Latinx students. So they're going to get rid of it? Latinx is. Uh, I, I know that it's supposed to be pronounced Latinx. I really think that that is, that is a bridge too far for me, having lived 
and spoken Spanish for a while. <laughs> like you would say Latin equis is what you would say if you gave a damn about <laughs> about the language. Uh, it's it's ridiculous. So uh, in any event, <laughs> there's they're getting rid of it because the gifted programs do not show the desired demographic makeup that they would want. I hate that. It's awful. I hate it's that. It's awful. Know, what's, know who that disadvantages? People the, that are good at math. The 4% of black kids that separated themselves from, from whatever was going on in the other classes in order to get a space where they could work harder and learn harder. Yeah, that's, like, all, that's also it, so dumb because people, yeah, when you're, it's ridiculous. If, you're if you're gifted, if you're, if you're high IQ and you're in a class that's uh, Beneath, too, yeah. too low for you, yeah, yeah. you, your best case scenario is you sit there while your brain rots, rots. in its developmental years. Yep. That's your best case. Then what happens? You get bored. So what do you do? You become the fucking Unabomber or you figure out how to entertain yourself by, uh, you, you stimulate your intellect in other ways outside of school. Yeah. Like this seems, and, okay, so there's the gifted program and then there's the non-gifted kids who now don't get to raise their hand and ask questions because the gifted kids are answering everything. <laughs> really fucking, I got it, I got it, I got it. Yeah. This hurts everybody as yep. far as i can tell who does this benefit in terms of the kids none no this is this is this is to have i mean the, i'll give you the steel man that by not we force the school to invest in the regular class but here's the problem kids are not even even racial uh inequities or inequalities and outcomes aside kids are not built the same Man, like you need separate tracks for separate kids if all that you're controlling for is their age because they are at wildly different levels. If you're going to uh, let and go the other direction, if you want to help the kids who are learning disabled or dyslexic, you don't put them in with the average kids. You actually give them their own class with a teacher who helps specifically to get them to learn despite their abilities. Yeah, so here's like putting everyone yeah. in one class is worse for the learning disabled, the average and the gifted. You can only move, this is the problem with the classroom model, and this is why stuff like Khan Academy might eventually be better, but you can only move at one speed. So, yeah. okay, so we put the gift to kids in. Either we move at the speed that was necessary to, to go as slow as the slowest link, or we move it a little bit faster in order to the to, average. To the, it's just yeah. like, this is so uh, stupid. <laughs> and I don't know if it will actually go through, but it's... Also, the reasoning. It's not that you did a study and you found that gifted programs actually make it so that the gifted kids do worse or yeah, so that yeah. the average kids do worse. You just, you don't like that there's so many Asians in the class? Yeah, and which is also like, talk about, you know, 8% of white, 32% Asians. Like, is that white supremacy <laughs> that is in action right there? Like, it's, it's the, I think this is a thing that I've seen this much is Asians fit in the woke ideology as needed and are discarded as needed uh, and are hindered as needed. And I don't know what the underlying thing is, but they, they will move from group that needs to be protected from victimization to group in this case that will be the most, well, I guess you could argue that, you know, the, the loss of the gifted classes the, in the kids, 32% of that drawback is going to fall squarely on Asian kids' mm -hmm. shoulders. Uh, yeah, it's just, it's, Silly and inconsistent, and uh, I wish that they wouldn't do it. And that's if crazy. I have Is it kids, sorry? Was it proposed or did it pass? Uh, you can look. It was suggested at the time, but I, it was this was the first draft of 
the thing and the teachers were very proud of it and there was some pushback so i don't know yeah. if it's california is doing everything it can to suck to just get people to mm. move yeah everything oh we're no if i had if, if i had kids i'd leave <laughs> no I, i'd, I'd already be homeschooling them i think i'm trying not to swear as much but i'd be like <laughs> f this f this f is what this I, stuff i would say frick this dude frick this stuff <laughs> is what i would say uh i try to make justin's life easier the bleeps <laughs> but uh yeah. Okay. So you're going to tax me the most money possible. Well, surely this is going to at least somehow lead to the best education in the country since I pay the most money. Oh no. You're going to take the gifted kids and you're going to not teach them in an advanced way like every other state in the country does. Mm-hmm. Well, it's just, it, I, if I were trying to get California <laughs> to have people move out, I don't know how much more I could do than what they're actually doing. It's That's insane. Yeah. I'm triggered. Triggered. Well, again, with all of this, with all news, you know, hold this in in the maybe perspective because it might have been an article overblowing, and I and I didn't. That is the one thing know. with government things. It's interesting what people propose. There's always these things of, uh, you know, female female Democrat in Georgia proposes uh, mandatory male vasectomies at 25. <laughs> she doesn't actually want that law to pass. Yeah, yeah. It's just a spoof to yeah. prove her point about having state funded birth control. Yeah, yeah, you know what I mean. So there is, to be fair, to temper my own triggeredness. They, uh, oftentimes these suggested things are, are not actually meant to pass, but it seems weird. Yeah, we're going to get rid of this because it's too Asian. That just seems like a crazy government policy. Mm-hmm. I agree. That's why I brought it up. But again, it might just be one of those things intended to trigger you and I. So You got me, dude. So You got so, me with one you know, that you didn't if it, bring if up it, off If air. it does exist in the world, it's a problem. If it's a thing intended to Maybe we uh, got sucker me. You got me. We got suckered by CNN again. Here's something that, so there's this living wage stuff that's been coming up a lot. Um, and so this was just on our politics is pay a living wage or flip your own damn burgers. Progressives blast right-wing narrative on jobs. And then in quotes, if one in four recipients are making more off unemployment than they did working, that's not an indictment of $300 a week in unemployment benefits. It's an indictment of corporations paying starvation wages. Now, in my opinion, they are wrong. It is an indictment not of employers, but of consumers who demand cheap products without regard to the pay of, <laughs> of, mm-hmm. of uh, the employee. And I think the idea that there's these corporations exist in a vacuum of just greed and profit is like they are your servants now can i spell can i spell it out there's a mcdonald's on one corner yeah and there's a ben and charlie's hamburger on the other corner they serve the same quality food ben and charlie pay all their workers 25 dollars an hour and their hamburgers cost twice as much and mcdonald's is mcdonald's I'm not sure that Ben and Charlie would crush McDonald's out of business. I'm sure it wouldn't. Yeah, I'm exactly. positive it wouldn't. So with that's the same, what, with that's the same what you're quality, saying. So all of the extra money is going to living wages for the employees? Same quality of food. Yeah, yeah. But instead of minimum all of wage, the, all of the profit. $25 yeah, yeah. an hour. And all, and that is why the owners make the same amount. The owner of each hamburger joint makes the same Say exact amount. Say it's not amount. twice as much. Say it's whatever the amount is required to pay people $25 an hour. All of that difference. I assume it's almost twice as much. Goes is, is <laughs> The in rent's the, the same. Is, the food is the same no, cost. It's, it's it's um economies of scale and who who knows variable cost versus fixed sure, cost call type it stuff. Thirty five percent. It's more. a dollar more. I don't think that people people would not be clamoring for the more expensive burgers because they wanted to support the workers there. Now, what people will pay more for is the opportunity to signal. 
So what you would need to do if you were clever, because I do think that you can get people to get free trade coffee and all that kind mm-hmm. of stuff, is if you could get like a Ben and Charlie bag mm-hmm. that basically looks like the Tesla logo that said, I love the environment, but really I just like the wing doors and that's, I want everybody to know that I'm rich. Yeah, yeah. And that, <laughs> what this says is, what this says is, I have money and I'm willing to spend it yes. on people because I'm yes. a good person. Then you, you could, could use, you could dominate. Make their identity dominant. Sure. Uh, but no, if, if really all that consumers got out of it was the understanding, the private understanding that employees were being paid better because of their private decision, all you, you would to, see no movement. All you have it. to do is say that you're not going to go to any places that pay people less than you think they should make. Yeah. And again, I want to make, make that like, personal policy. Consumers are not a block employers tend to be more of a block you know they're not all the same but they their management does typically speak with one voice at these large corporations Mm -hmm. it's easier for them to organize uh but yeah if mcdonald's suddenly said all right you win we're gonna do it we're gonna maintain the profits to our shareholders and we're gonna raise the price of food there would be a riot man there would be (laughs) not really burger king and wendy's would just do well maybe yeah maybe burger king that's the thing it's not a monopoly so there so mcdonald's would just see a loss of market share yeah well Burger King and Wendy's took their clients. Yes. And so, I mean, I'm not, I'm not against higher, (laughs) higher wages. I actually, well, this is why this is (laughs) for people who don't like small government. This is why governments have to step in. Yeah. Because these companies compete amongst themselves. McDonald's has to compete against all the other fast chain, uh, fast food network, uh, restaurants. And so if they make this decision unilaterally, they'll just get crushed. And so that's where a government steps in and says, you all have to do this because if we let the market decide, consumers won't back the people making minimum wage. Mm-hmm. Yep. So we'll see. But yeah, it's uh, the economy that we have is one of, not exactly, but it, in many cases, if you search, it's of your personal decisions multiplied mm-hmm. out. Uh, and what I see in myself and in other people is a complete lack of concern of secondary and tertiary effects of yeah. the decisions that they people make. wearing diamond rings that don't want to watch Blood Diamond because yeah, yeah, the movie yeah. upsets them. <laughs> they, it, that's the funny thing. They, I don't want to watch this because it won't. It'll make me not like diamonds. <laughs> well, shouldn't you watch it then? <laughs> not like diamonds anymore. That's. I mean, I have been able, unable to get anyone. I still haven't watched it myself to watch Dominion with me, which is the Joaquin Phoenix. You know, slaughterhouse thing. Yeah, I can't. But it'll make it. Uh, and you won't want to eat meat, and that's kind of like that's why I'm trying to watch it to feel. Well, I'll watch it with you, but solid in this. I'm already. I'm yeah, I, I just thought it might make me feel more uh, solid in that. Bro, speaking of meat, one of the reasons that people say they can never give up red meat is because of the testosterone that it gives them. Let's talk about your inside tracker results. Stack, dudes. I know. <laughs> Mr. Pescatarian over here, highest testosterone of his life. Yeah, it's not, I mean, it's not, it's like at a thousand or something like that's that. High, Health, that's high, bro. Healthy yeah. is like 350 to 1200 or something. Yes, but then, so, so I did the Inside Tracker, which by the way, is a sponsor. If you guys are, want to check it out. Um, people come to your house, they take a blood panel, they take t- uh, two to four tubes, and then I got my results back. And they do about 50 biomarkers for your health. Everything from testosterone to cholesterol to vitamin D deficiency to all the heavy, you know, like seleniums and mm-hmm. cortisol. They, they test it all, and then they give you a chart over time of your results so you can see how you rank compared to a healthy range and how you rank compared to your past self. Yeah. So you just got your results. Super high T, dude. No. Woo! <laughs> but my free testosterone is, is solid, but not as high because I have high 
SHBG, which is a sex hormone binding globule, how, which attaches to testosterone and makes it less bioavailable. So what, how does your free testosterone compare to your past itself? Highest ever. Yeah. Okay. So still highest ever. Yeah. Which is funny because I have like the least muscle ever, ever. And I just like, <laughs> well, I have a hypothesis. So your sex drives down your muscles. Yeah, I'm, I'm, down. I don't care about finasteride. Yeah, it could be. I, I think it's, I think it's the, the finasteride. Finasteride, for those of you who don't know, is uh, to stop hair loss. It's Propecia, which I've been taking. I, what's fun? So f- they say like there's the side effects of finasteride, which is that it it can decrease your sex drive. And I'm 33. I feel like my sex drive is not as strong as it is. But quite frankly, to me, it feels awesome. It feels it's like freeing. a superpower. <laughs> like I would d- double up on finasteride because. I'm so smart. <laughs> In his past, Charlie was more driven by yeah, the it's nice whims to, of his PP. It's nice to not care, uh, honestly. So, yeah, I'm, I'm not trying to undo it. Like, a lot of people want higher T so that they have a super high sex drive and they have a lot of muscle. It's like, I love not caring about either of those things. Mm-hmm. It feels feels great. Mentally freeing. No, I just thought it was interesting that you're at an all-time high for testosterone despite being 33 and a pescatarian. Yeah, but... uh what it did have, the only problem that I identified as a problem is that there was some liver, uh, a high, I forget what it's called, ALT, this thing that, that can affect liver function was too high, as well as some of the cholesterol markers, which I was like, the heck? Mm-hmm. Now, cholesterol is a very complicated thing. Is it good? Is it bad? It breaks it down to LDL, HDL, all that. But for my limited research and with the recommendations, the biggest thing is that I haven't done cardio in a long time. Mm. Um, so I've started running again and harder than it was yeah yeah i but, changed up my diet because inside tracker i started eating walnuts for cholesterol i started mm-hmm. doing magnesium because i have a magnesium deficiency so it's shit's helpful man you know what's going on in your body i think at some point we'll just have a wearable oh yeah that tracks that just pokes into your Consistently, blood yeah and it's just constantly telling you your blood sugar level your deficiency goes hey you're deficient in vitamin z you yeah. need or vitamin d you need sunlight hey your blood sugar is too low you need food or whatever it is i think we'll just get these constant health updates that yeah. will keep us running like well-oiled machines. Hopefully personalized too. That'd be super cool because this is what the bands that it gives you are like, this is for most people and healthy adults well, at your age. That's why I really like that it shows you in your past because mm-hmm. it's like, oh yeah, your cholesterol is high, but maybe that's just your body or whatever. Mm-hmm. But then I look back at the three years of data and I can see how I'm comparing mm-hmm. to myself in the past. So that's my favorite part about it. Yeah. Anyways, if you guys want to check it out, uh, what's the discount? 22% discount. 22% it's uh, insidetracker.com slash charisma. If you live in a populated area, you can set it up um, that they come to your house and do the draw, mm-hmm. or you can go to one of several different places, get the draw done, and they'll send it in and uh, get it set up. I've been doing it for years at this point, every several months, and, and it's nice. Justin gets 15% of your purchase. So we're an <laughs> affiliate, and that money goes straight to Mr. Justin. Mr. Mr. Justin. Insidetracker.com slash charisma. Uh, but, but what else do I got? I got a lot, a bunch of random stuff. This is a small, we, we don't need to harp on it. Uh, there's this video that popped up, uh, from the Dodo, which is a, like an animal lover thing. It's got 10 million views and it mm. was from a piglet that had fallen off of the back of a factory farming truck. And it had mm. the, still the tag in its ear that, uh, was rescued and saved. And it was, uh, it became friends with this little cow that had the same story. Like it was rescued from a factory mm. farm. The guy was able to get in and convinced the owner just to give him one calf. And he took this little cow and saved his life. Mm. Um, 
and they take him out and they become good friends and they're buds and they run around and they become thick as thieves. And it's got 10 million views. And I was just from the comments and stuff. I was going, how many of you would have eaten the bacon <laughs> had it had it made it to its destination? Oh, yeah. Just, <laughs> at least half. I don't we talk about this often, but it is it is incredible. Again, secondary effects, how disconnected we are from the where our stuff comes from yeah, yeah, all kinds can, of our stuff well, it's funny to think about you can watch we talk about like someone who can decry jeff bezos while opening an amazon package yeah. it's funny to just imagine someone watching this being oh my god this pig is so cute mm-hmm, yeah. i'm so glad they saved it hey the bacon's ready yeah, yeah. oh okay great yeah, yeah. Nom, nom, nom. yeah it's and, and i'm not immune to this certainly like i'm still finding there's just so many ways in which everything that i do has a negative impact on other people and creatures in the world and so i'm not immune from this but i was just struck by the power of that singular story and how i i'm sure if they did a fundraiser for that pig they could have raised a heck of a lot of money Mm -hmm. and you could have got very few if any people to stop eating bacon Mm -hmm. or ham especially if a holiday were approaching because then it would just be unthinkable there's no way it's christmas yeah so yeah it's crazy uh we we were talking about this earlier with the, with the news, and we were we were kind of blaming the media for for taking a handful of examples. But it's this is just how the human mind works. We mm-hmm. just we just really only understand deeply and emotionally the things that we see. So if we see twenty people saying, "Oh no, this is horrible," and my kid died, it's like, "Oh well, that's all the evidence I could possibly understand." Yeah, yeah. So what else am I to think? Well, the thing I don't know why, but this crystallized for me recently. I guess with people using the news using Twitter examples was so obviously egregious that it made me critical of all their examples i think that's what happened they stretched too far from my liking <laughs> but it made me realize yeah you get you just get these interviews of 20 people saying something from a million person populace because yeah i could get the, i could get people to say anything mm-hmm. and just stack them up against each other and it would be compelling because that's how the human mind works 20 people all saying the same thing it's got to be real that's insane yeah that's enough people to band together and kill you so you yeah. better listen that's one of the reasons that that online communities are difficult and and you know as is any group above whatever the dunbar number of 150 when you start considering comments from people outside of your circle who do not know you who do not need to continue to interact with you mm-hmm. you treat them as serious criticisms and or praise of what you're doing it's like this is not how your brain was intended to perceive criticism and praise it was not intended to come from the ether from someone who doesn't need to interact with you ever again Plus, that could be 10,000 different people. Yeah. This is a little bit of a tangent, but I, I was thinking the other day, why are video games so toxic? Like, <laughs> we play League of Legends, right? It's five on five. I also play basketball. It's five yeah. on five. You'll be in there with a random person who is just doing something terrible, like losing the game for everybody and refusing to change their behavior or making a bad play and then cussing everybody else out. And you'll see that sometimes on the basketball court but way, way less, even with strangers. And mm-hmm. I was trying to figure yeah. out why. And it is the complete anonymity and distance just completely changes how humans treat each other. Because when you're in person, face-to-face, you have to look the person in the eye as you cuss them out. And you have to see their reaction. And you also know them for who they are. So if you're on the basketball court with someone who just, they're super young or they look really uncoordinated, you know they're bad from the start and they make a bad play, you just go, all right, it's kind of what I expected. They can't do any better you're playing video games, it doesn't occur to you, this might be a nine-year-old or, you know, someone who's uh, learning disabled or something. Mm -hmm. And that's why they're bad. And if you could see their face, you'd have so much more empathy for them. But since you don't, it's so much easier to just go toxic on them. Mm -hmm. And then the second thing is, 
you have no fear because you're anonymous and they're not close to you. So you can be a total scumbag and nothing bad will happen to you. Yep. Versus on the basketball court, you, if you start dropping N-bombs, you're going to deal with the consequences of being yeah. one person on a nine-person court yeah. who's being a dick and people are in hand's reach of you. Yeah. But all of a sudden you get on Call of Duty or something and you're, you're right, anonymous. You're it's not your yeah. face. It's not your profile. They're miles away. And all of a sudden, yeah, you become a total troll. So I just thought it was interesting to think about as society becomes more virtual, online communities are getting lauded and people talk about social media like it's actually a way to keep in touch with friends or whatever it might be. It's just, it's interesting because we're going to have to be cognizant of how a couple of these variables really change human interaction drastically for, for the worse in a lot yeah. of ways. Yeah. I, the threat of violence is important. It's important in interactions. It really does keep things civil in a way that when you remove that threat of violence, it just one person who wants to be disruptive can absolutely do that. Mm -hmm. The it's made me think I was thinking about crypto and how people were really excited for this like totally private, anonymous, decentralized thing. And so to, I guess the first thought that relates to this is that privacy is not all it's cracked up to be. It's great that singular corporations don't have all your data. But the way privacy works in meat space is that it is decentralized. Like if I see you do something, not everyone saw you do that, but I saw you do it. So mm -hmm. we're, there's there's privacy within I, but not within iShot. If people see you do something, that that is a they can hold you accountable to that. Uh, and there's benefits to that, and there's also drawbacks, which is like if you rob my town and then leave, like I can't telepathically tell the next town to watch out for this guy. So there's there's nice things about it and there's bad things about it. But what's interesting with the crypto space is that we were promised that decentralization and privacy was going to do all these amazing things. And what you see with Elon Musk is that you can't actually decentralize power. Because mm -hmm. even if you took away Elon's money, he has social power. And all he has to do is say a few words and crypto can rise and fall 30%. Mm -hmm. And if he trades on either side of that, which I'm not sure that he did in this most recent up-down, but he easily could have. He easily could have bought and sold prior to his... I'm also not sure it's illegal to insider it's trade not. crypto because it's it not. isn't a regulated exactly. thing. So you can't... So he can't do that for Tesla, for instance. He can't sell a bunch of Tesla and then announce something bad the next day and then have it crash and then buy a bunch of Tesla back. He would go to jail for it or at least go to trial for it. Yeah. But I think he can with Dogecoin because there's no governing body to stop him. So this is what happens. I'd like government sucks, right? Everyone hates the government. They're they're inefficient. They're slow. They screw shit up. They uh, abuse their power constantly. Mm -hmm. Then you get into non-government spaces and you reinvent governments yeah, yeah. <laughs> because they're so necessary. Dude, Chaz, Chaz was so anti-cop, <laughs> and then they made their own police force own that would go into tents and invest, and they would they would interrogate people. Yeah, they held people. I don't want to say hostage, but they imprisoned them and interrogated them. Are you are you with us? Are you really a Republican who's here to report on us? Yeah, yeah. It's like, you guys, they're the anti-police people. You quarantined off a part of the city and now you have a police force. Yeah. It took a day. Yeah. So, and this is what happens. And and uh, I'm sure that there's more sophisticated libertarians, but the idea that just smaller and smaller government is the answer, I actually think is is dead wrong. I think what, you're, what but for better and worse, the future of civilization is with more government uh, as we get more interconnected because it becomes so easy to screw shit up for one person to screw shit up and you need things that stop that mm. uh so i think what 
I don't know what you're going to see with crypto, but I, if, if it's left to be the wild, wild west, what you're going to see is an even more doggy dog, uh, the winner takes all world than you have seen in regular capitalism. Well, you'll just see all the worst things that you, you'll just see all the outlawed things in the stock market is what you'll see. This yes. is, if this is an unregulated stock market, because it's to date at least, and I, I, I like crypto, I own crypto, but to date it isn't yet what it's supposed to be, which is a flat, roughly flat currency. Like Bitcoin can't be the future of money if it's jumping around. It has to stabilize to serve its purpose. Otherwise it can't be a store of value. Mm -hmm. And so for now, it's not that. It's a speculative investment. You'll just see everything that's illegal in stocks happen that's not illegal. You'll see Ponzi schemes. You'll see insider trading. You'll see pump and dumps. We've done this. We've played this game. And then we made them all illegal in the stock market. And so now you have a thing that's exactly like the stock market, but unregulated. It doesn't take Nostradamus to tell you what's going to happen. All the things that were made illegal <laughs> because people were doing them to get rich are going to happen in crypto. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not saying that Elon will do this or is a bad guy, but it would be very easy for him to uh, purchase a billion dollars worth of Bitcoin and then announce that Tesla accepts Bitcoin and then to have it go up and then to sell Bitcoin and then to announce that he is going to be working with the Doge. <laughs> like those are the, the movement of the markets are very predictable. Well, it might be illegal for Tesla to do it, but he can definitely do it as an individual sure. with Dogecoin. He can definitely say Dogecoin to buy a bunch of Dogecoin, say Dogecoin to the moon for three weeks, sell a bunch of Dogecoin and then say, I don't like Dogecoin anymore. I'm on Team Ethereum. Mm -hmm. and, and then the, buy more Dogecoin and say, that was a prank. I'm all about Dogecoin. Yeah. Um, so that's all. I think I think my prediction, and maybe I don't understand the technology and it breaks the the rules of how humans have interacted because there's some sort of blockchain thing that I don't get. But yeah, you're going you're gonna to really want governing bodies and you're going to want non-infinite privacy. Uh in in how this stuff is transacted and conducted and and that's no knock to crypto i own crypto and my plan is to never look at it and to sell it in 10 to 100 years i looked at it the day before it crashed and then it Did crashed. you buy more no i didn't oh. um i just i'm gonna just keep what i have yeah i thought about it i was like should i buy the dips like mm. I don't really know enough about this to be swing trading it i'll just hold it I for like, 20 you years know, i like i always forget there's a handful of people in every domain that are just like the boring people mm -hmm. that are just right like tim ferris on uh efficiency and work management he's just like do one thing do it right remove you know like mm -hmm. like it's so boring because what you want to think is oh chatbots on facebook that's yeah, new yeah, and, yeah. and like and the guy in in investing is warren buffett and he's just like find undervalued assets usually companies that produce a good and purchase them. And buy something that you'd be comfortable never selling. And don't force yourself to buy. And the, he was talking about SPACs. He's like, the problem with SPACs, amongst others, is that if they don't make a purchase within two years, the manager gets no fee and all the money is returned to the investors. It's like, I'll find you a company in two years. I don't know that it'll be a great one. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it'll be the best I could do in two years. Yep. Yeah, yeah. View the long term. Buy assets that you've done your due diligence on and you think will be around for a long time so you're an actual owner of a thing. It's just so unsexy, yeah, boring. so boring, and he's the GOAT. He's the GOAT, and he's done it for the longest amount of time. And, uh, you know, next up, you're watching Dave Portnoy. Yeah. Did he buy calls on GameStop, though? Dave I'm Portnoy, disinterested in his advice. You didn't just didn't see buy. Dave Portnoy do the safe moon thing? No. Dude, never mind. We don't need to talk about it. It's 
Safe Moon's the one that crashed, right? It's lame. Yeah, he uh, he's trying to pump and dump a coin, basically, oh, and he's and he's admitting that it's gambling. But given his performance with with GameStop, where he bought and sold and then announced, I just like anyone who follows this guy is is asking for him to juke you around and screw you. So he basically invests in Safe Moon, goes on, uses his platform to pump up Safe Moon. When it's time to sell, he will make the video after he sells it. I mm-hmm. fucking promise you. Uh, yeah. So don't. Don't follow him. He's not looking out for you. Anything else? I got one more just because I think it's funny. Cool. The Twitch stream hot tub meta. Oh. I don't really have an I angle on this. I don't watch any, so I don't know about it. But uh, I just think it's hilarious that everything becomes porn. That's really my <laughs> only takeaway. It's just that everything becomes porn. Yeah. Like, first we had the printing press, and it was supposed to do all these things, <laughs> and we used it to print porn. And then we had the internet, and it was supposed to do all these things. But 50% of the internet is just porn. Literally 50% of Reddit, I think, is porn. Is it really? Yeah. No. Yeah. That's impossible. Yeah. If you just go to new, apparently if you just go to Reddit instead of going to popular, you just go to all and sort by new, it's just porn. <laughs> I, that's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. I haven't checked it, but that's what people say. Okay. Uh, and then... What was the next technology? Oh, VR goggles came out and VR porn was instant. Haptic technology. And that one's pretty obvious. We had Patreon (laughs) and then we got OnlyFans. Yeah. And then there's Twitch and Twitch's guidelines say you can't do sexual things. I mean, OnlyFans has to be crushing Patreon, right? Oh, yeah. Not even close. I don't know, but uh, but it seems if to I could me bet that on one, bl- if I could blind bet on one, I'm betting on OnlyFans to I make will, more revenue. Yeah, than that, that's a statement that Patreon. I can stand behind. I don't know, but I will take the OnlyFans. And I could be wrong, yeah. but I, that's where I would put my money. So yeah, so Twitch has a thing. For people don't know their guidelines say you can't be sexual. It's not we're not OnlyFans. It's for streaming games and it's for talking to your fans. And so people, <laughs> there's a guideline that says you can be in a bathing suit if you're in an appropriate context for a bathing suit. And so a bunch of streamers who are women bought hot tubs, like inflatable <laughs> temporary hot tubs or, or real hot tubs. I mean, it's an investment. You get to get to expense it for sure. Yes. Some did, but some bought inflatable hot tubs so they could be in bikinis talking to their fans. Yeah. And it took over Twitch and it became some of the most popular people on Twitch, making the most money, getting the most views is now these women wearing bathing suits and they do funny things. Like there's this woman, I don't know her name, so this isn't shade at her, but she initially published a tweet that said, this is wrong. If you want to be successful, put on some, put on a shirt, put on some pants, do it like the men do. You know what I mean? Like, don't take advantage of this changed her mind at some point i think after seeing how other people performed started doing the bikini meta and i i this is what taught me what the uh hot tub meta is she does this thing where if you like her stuff or subscribe or give her money she makes a heart by pushing her elbows together to push her (laughs) breasts together and makes a heart with her hands like this oh my god every time she gets money and saw how the the mighty have fallen and yeah they're crushing it because that's what a large percentage of the population wants is to have a girl talk to them kindly while wearing a bathing suit and pushing her boobs together. Yeah, I guess where I'm at is like, let's just take the lid off this thing. Like all this repressed sexual stuff. Let, let's just let it fill the role that it actually is going to fill in our economy, which is everything. Uh, let's, because what do you, it, it's cats out of the bottle. Dude, it like, finds its way everywhere. There's strip clubs, but there's also hooters. Yeah, I said cats out of the bottle. It's cats out of the bag. There you go. No, it's genies uh, out of the bottle. Yeah, it's hilarious. The, it, whatever you invent, whatever platform you make, what people want, it's porn. <laughs> you know, what's interesting is that like the only thing that they can, we've talked about this. The only thing that supersedes economic interest is religion. Mm-hmm. It's, it's the, it's just, that's it. And so when things elevate to the power of religion, like wokeness, that's when you see people make decisions that go against their economic interests. Mm-hmm. And 
one of the few things I think that kept sexuality out of the economic sphere in such a dominant way that we are now starting to see it surge was religion. And you take that away and you have a bit of social shaming, a bit like that's not social, social shaming is going away. It's and, and that's it's what I'm saying. Way it's, away. It's, it's going away because there's no religion to hold it together. Yeah. Most of TikTok, I think it's just people d- dancing in scantily oh, clad outfits. I don't know if it's most, but it's, it's, it's a huge piece of TikTok is, uh, is that. And so, yeah, just everywhere. I wonder if at some point it, you just become sated as, as like, I like to think that you just go, everything becomes hot tub meta and then it, it crests and stops. And there's, there's things that are Well, you that. did the OnlyFans video though, but the, it, this is just what people want is yeah. to throw some small amount of money at someone to speak kindly to them while being attractive and showing cleavage. Yeah. Like, that's they know they're not going to have sex with these people they know there's no future in it they're not necessarily even masturbating to it they just want to pay so that someone can go hey thanks name for the donation i really appreciate you i as this person appreciate you while being attractive so yeah i guess i wonder i wonder how that affects the and now we don't i don't know this from the video how that affects the payees position as a boyfriend or father or I, i'm not certain like that, in the when they hang up how does it affect their relationship with someone else if they are less likely to get into a relationship mm-hmm. if they are you know I, I don't know um yeah i don't know that's the scary question that but maybe it's not at all a problem well know? isn't that the whole i don't know so again talking about countries that we don't know about because we don't live there isn't that allegedly a problem that's happening in japan People are just disinterested in dating as I much. Think, I think I don't know a ton about it. I mean, I've heard that, that, that there's, there's less interest in dating and there's more interest in career and that sort of stuff, but I don't know. So, yeah. I don't know. just thought it was hilarious. We should do it, man. I don't think it would help our views. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's another thing. I don't know if it's true or not, but I did see an, an interesting conversation where it was a person who, she's a feminist and she says we were, we were fighting for equality, and we thought that would mean less sh- sexual objectification of women. And what society said was, no, we don't want to lower the amount that we sexually objectify women. Let's just up the amount that we sexually objectify men. And then you got Magic Mike and Tom Hiddleston showing his butt in movies and stuff like that. And so now the... I don't think, I don't, uh, I don't think most women... I mean, and here's the thing. If you're, if you're a Twitch streamer and you say that you don't want to be objectified and then you get into a hot tub and make heart signs. Like, I don't care what you say. Oh, yeah, I agree. You're just, you just are. And I think what the problem is that people might say that you don't want to be forced to be objectified. I think most everyone can agree with that. But you'll opt in for money. When it's advantageous, you know. I, not everyone would. To be clear, most people don't have an OnlyFans. They don't have a Twitch. Yes, that's not what I'm saying. But I can give you an example uh, of, you know, Someone that I know that went to a meeting very recently that they were unprepared for and they are a woman. Um, and they didn't know, like the, a big head honcho came in to ask questions about stuff and they they were not supposed to be there because there was uh, someone else who was supposed to give the presentation, but they had to do it anyway. And, you know, it was completely business appropriately dressed, did her best, tried, but like was like, oh my God, I'm sounding like an idiot because I don't know the answer to this because how could I? And at the end of it, this person started asking questions and expressed a level of friendliness that was not 
to be expected for for how poor some of the questions were. And mm. while no numbers were exchanged, no any of this, oh, there was a there was a an air of friendliness that seemed to go beyond the level that the presentation had required sure. and what one might expect of a guy at that similar level. And I don't think that even in that scenario where it wasn't being presented, it wasn't offered, uh, that advantage was happily taken, you know? And it, not that not that there was anything... Well, I guess she could have said, you know what? I don't deserve to... You know, I, I really screwed this well, up. Well, everyone takes the... Stop. <laughs> I mean, allegedly, there's a, there's a tall person advantage. Yeah, if yeah. I give a presentation that's meh, but it gets well-received... And the only reason it got well received in hindsight is because I spoke loudly and I was tall. I'm not going to apologize for it. I'm going to take the. Sure. Oh, that was a great job. Great. Thanks. Sure. I'll be in my office. Sure. Like I'm not going to undo whatever subconscious thin slice bias yeah. I get. And I don't mean to criticize. And I'm to be clear, I'm not criticizing mm-hmm. that. It's just that you could say that you don't want to be objectified, which is of course true. But what people do want is to retain the advantages of the potential to objectify themselves to either the zeroth degree and just allow people to imagine or to the 50th degree and to get into a bathing suit or to the hundredth degree and to sell, you know, sex for money. Honestly, it sounds like a pretty good policy. You can be objectified to the extent you opt into. I agree. I agree. That's a great policy. As long as you can opt out. If you want, as long as, if you want 0%, you have the option to opt into 0%. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that seems reasonable. And yes. both genders get to do it. Yes. Sure. Sounds sick. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, that's what I'm saying. I just don't think that it, the goal was not to be not objectified. The goal was, to, I think, choose one's level of, of yeah. objectification. This was just some, this was just a woman that I saw on a podcast or something. Yeah. And that was just her position for what she thought she was fighting for in the 70s. Mm-hmm. Dope. Let's go to questions. We've been doing it for two hours. Sick. Hold on. I just want to do before we do the questions just real quick. One more reminder. Thank you to our sponsor for today. InsideTracker.com slash charisma. 22% off if you want to get your blood work done like Charlie and I did. That is the link and we'll link to it in the description as well. Now let's go to questions. Thanks. Cool. First one is, this will be a weird question. In business, I'm a loser. I'm very successful in other areas of my life, happily married to my beautiful and smart best friend. I love my two dogs and I'm building a friend group in a city I recently moved to and I've been enjoying my time, but I doubt we can sustain where we are and I don't see a path to other goals like having a family. I've either quit jobs to try and improve my life or have been fired and I'm trying for the second time to build a business, four-hour workweek style. The business is working, but it's not enough to sustain us. I'm now looking to go back to work with a nine to five with the purpose of generating enough capital to get the ideal week slash life. And it'll allow us to get a house two years of self-employed profit, profit profitability for a mortgage. Uh, any advice on either business front being successful, working for others or being more successful in our entrepreneurship. I mean, it's broad. This is extremely broad. <laughs> I feel like there's, I could do a 30 hour program on each topic. Yes. Um, in terms of entrepreneurship, I mean, we've talked about it before. Four-hour work week, like you said, and then marketing step-by-step. Step. That's, for us, helped us 100x our business. I think it was extremely yeah. instrumental. Uh, it's another sponsor we have. I can actually, I'll get the link. But they they give you, a, it's a step-by-step program that'll take you through all the different things from what to call your company, how to create a product people actually want, how to describe it in a way that people realize it's what they want. It goes, it really reframes what marketing is and what makes a company successful. And I say that as someone who went to business school for four years. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, uh, let me get the link. It's 
ebenpagantraining.com slash charisma. And Eben we'll, is E-B-E-N, Pagan is P-A-G-A-N, training. If you don't know how to spell that, no business for you. Ebenpagantraining.com slash charisma. We'll link to it in the description as well. Uh, that's that's all the beginner business advice I would give you was transformational for us. So in terms of being a successful entrepreneur, that's the best resource I would recommend. Additionally, what I would say is if you are making some money, uh, the nice thing about your own business is that it, it's easier to grow than your salary. Yeah, you can so, triple it in a year. Yes. Hard and to triple your so salary. So like zero to making some in your own business is really hard. Making some to making three times that is doable. Yeah, it's like 30 grand profit to 90 grand profit, much easier than 30 grand salary to 90 grand salary. Oh yeah, Ridiculous. In a 12 month span. So I would say don't don't let that one go. Um, it, it, it can be incredibly valuable. Another thing, since you're saying that you've been a loser in business, um, personal power too. I think this is one that I, Tony Robbins may sell it. but He quite, does. I just bought it. Does he? Okay. Yep. I didn't know if he sold it. It's an old program. No, you I, literally just Google Tony Robbins personal power too. You'll get it. Got it. Okay. So he sells this. And day, I don't know what day. It's like day 11 or 12 or 13 or 14. Just There's, there's two finance days in the early or mid-teens that are awesome. Mm. If you take them, they're great. If you don't want to take them because you don't want to spend the money, go to a video that I did that is, I think it's got self-sabotage in the title and it's an animated video. And I talk about one of the exercises that Tony runs through that was really helpful for me. But uh, we all have limiting beliefs in various areas of our life, which include finances. One of mine that I've mentioned before is that I thought that if I made more than $100,000 that I would be miserable. And that was because I lived in New York I read an article that said people who make more than $70,000 don't see increases in happiness. And I looked at Ben's finance guys and they were all people that I aspired to never, ever be like because they were, they thought they were super smart, but they were kind of mm. dorky and they were like just not happy in, in the way that I wanted to be. And not not the guys that you were um, friends with really. It was, it was the people that- I was going to say, yeah. So was, I, I worked with a lot of people at my yeah. company and at other companies. I just want to caveat, that's not true of my friends or even the people at Hellman yeah. and Friedman that I worked with were largely happy, well-balanced. Mm -hmm. But suffice to say in New York, there are a lot of people who are sun deprived, sleep deprived, yeah. love deprived, never can have enough, single, yeah. mindlessly pursuing wealth as other areas of their life fall apart. And, so, and there's other people who are going to the gym every day and have yep. great relationships. And I don't want to just slander them all because sure. there's some cool guys there. Bunch of losers. No. <laughs> <laughs> and so, their names are. <laughs> uh, what I subconsciously did in my head was I set a ceiling at 100000 I said, if you try to earn more than this, you're destined to be unhappy. And so when we would approach that number, it would just be like, like the gas tank would just disappear mm -hmm. inside of me. Um, and I wouldn't take projects that would that would just leapfrog that went through this and immediately just started doing different things that weren't even that hard that leapfrogged it mm -hmm. uh, because I was like, oh, well, it's okay to make more money than that. And so and now you have a new number in your head. Now I have a new number <laughs> in my head. Now I have a new number in my head that I won't let go of um, because if I have too much right now, it's, it's absolutely a limiting belief. And one that I'm not sure I want to remove is that if I have too much money in my bank and I have my number, that means that I... I'm so selfish and I just need to send it to charity water right away. Is it an earnings number or is it a savings number? It's a, it's a lump sum. Got it. So that's why you'll just don't anything above that. You just donate. Uh, I will just, I'll feel awful and or donate or find a way to not do it. Yeah. Got it. 
Um, but if I could, yeah. So like uh, that exists still in me. And quite frankly, I have, I'm not sure that I need to yeah. remove that number. Random. Um, you want to send hundred grand to charity water this month? Yes. Uh, we, yep. Cool. Cause I made a video in January saying we would match the first hundred grand of donations. Mm-hmm. So I was going to do that this month. Cool. Let's do it. Um, so that was the first piece. And then the second piece is for your own job. Try to plan raises to the degree that you can. And so this is this is much, much slower. But if you are getting a job, well, two things. This is actually more important. Do a job that is going to have ancillary positive benefits to your entrepreneurial thing and or teach you a skill that becomes really valuable as you get it. So take something where you're going to learn a bit of Excel or programming or that that there's uh, you can level up your income as opposed to just whatever pays you the most today. Um, and within that job, find opportunities to train, make get the company to pay for trainings, all that kind of stuff. And then, uh, with in terms of raises, after a few months in, decide the position that you want within the company that's above yours. Decide the pay that you want. Go in and speak to your boss or manager and say, "Hey, like I'd like to be made a whatever senior, whatever, uh, and to get the associated pay raise. What would I have to do in order to do that?" And let them go through it and say, "Okay." Uh, is that something that we can that you think I can achieve in say four months or six months? And they'll give you a time frame, start low, so that they <laughs> have to do it. And be like, okay, can we schedule uh, you know a handful of meetings at two months, four months, six months to just make sure that I'm on track and I'm doing these things because I've got a family and I want to do this. And I don't want to make sure that I'm earning that money. And so you're you're pre-committing them to giving you a raise and checking in and hitting the metrics that need to be hit in order to get there. And you're not just framing it as a raise for you. Importantly, you're saying, what what, what can I do for the company? What value yeah. can I create for the company such that I can do that? So instead of saying, oh yeah, how do I get a raise in six months? It's what, what can I do? What would I have to do to do that? And then the metrics will be things like increasing sales or the performance of the product or something such that they're happy to give you the raise. The goal is that at the end of it, they are so pleased with what you've done that the money is a pleasure to part with, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Next is, uh, this is from the Leo episode. Um, if we're all just one big mind and nothing is real and the only thing that stops us from realizing this is our desire for survival, why is this big consciousness even imagining a need for survival? What do we need to survive for? So yeah, this is a question for Leo more than me. Uh, I think what he would say is that it's a game of hide-and-seek that God plays with him slash her slash itself. Um, the question that somebody once asked me, which I guess I've amended, it was our friend Jordan, and he's like, if you knew that all of this was a video game and that you were going to live trillions and trillions of years, like, wouldn't you just, like, pick random things? Wouldn't you just pick a life of, like, horrible suffering? And I was like, no, like, I would never do that, but one of the things that I have experienced on psychedelics is the complete insignificance of this life. So if it is the case that that's, you know, part of the truth of reality, it is conceivable that in that particular well, state, yeah. I might just be like, I'll be a mosquito. Like, <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, I play wasteland three. Yeah. It's a post-apocalyptic world where food is scarce yeah. and bullets are scarce <laughs> yeah, and yeah. you have to fight, but everything's horrible and you're yeah. constantly losing friends to death. Well, why would you play this? I'm completely divorced from this character such that I am 100% in control of their actions, but I'm not at all attached to their emotional experience. It's like, okay, well, if you're a 
hundred billion but, years old. But and you're also going to get attached to the emotional experience, and you're going to forget. But it's like, yeah, but from the perspective of no, that's infinity. Well, this is kind of yeah. what I'm saying is that you, with a good enough VR suit, maybe for a moment you forget yourself. Well, if you're a hundred billion years old, but you separate alpha part of your consciousness to play Ben Altman for uh, a fragment of time, maybe in the moment it feels like it's bad. In the same way that a dream can stress me out. I had a dream the other day that was super stressful. And when I woke up, I was like, oh, that was a terrible dream. I forgot it two minutes later. I did nothing to prevent the same dream from happening that night because it was so insignificant to me in the span of my conception of time mm-hmm. that I just went to sleep going, yeah, probably won't have the same dream. And if I do, I'll just wake up again. Yeah. So I think it's like, oh yeah, the dream's stressful in the moment. The lifetime of a hundred years feels long in the moment, but then you just return to being a hundred billion years old and you go, oh yeah, that was, that was fun for a fleeting instant yeah so that's my best uh this is not necessarily my belief but that's what i've understood leo to have said is that it's it's god playing hide and go seek with god's self yeah i just want to caveat i also don't necessarily believe (laughs) this just trying to explain how it's been explained to me Mm -hmm. all right i think it's a simulation (laughs) next is i was in a casual dynamic with a guy it felt like more than friends with benefits but not a relationship Neither of us wanted a relationship. We had said at times feeling of love and hinted at it but wouldn't say it. I started seeing a pattern of me always paying for little things for him and him aggressively hinting at wanting stuff but not having time to get it. I said I said I could pick up things for him and he uh, would tell me his size, for example, for clothes. Um, So I would do that and then he would say that it wasn't the right style and I'd exchange it but ask for money from him and he would sternly say he would get it himself. He's a doctor working 60 plus hours a week. I'm in retail working 25 to 30 hours a week. I'm not struggling for money, but can't afford to be treating uh, treating somebody to 40 pound gifts. His reason for not paying was that he didn't ask me to do it. Uh, I offered. I returned the item and got my refund. My offer was due to him not having time. I explained this and he stuck his angry response or he stuck to his angry response that I shouldn't have gotten the item if this is my reaction anyways. Um, there were times when I wasn't in a sex mood, but turned him on even unintentionally. Uh, when I didn't have sex, he would get extremely sad and introspective. It also got to the stage that we would only talk when he was online. And if I didn't reply on his schedule, we just wouldn't talk. I think he was manipulating me. I feel firmly in fairness, or I firmly believe in fairness and not taking advantage of people. So if he offered to pay for something, I rarely accepted, but he rarely offered. He said something I can't shake. You see what you think is a pattern, then self-destruct. Was I being manipulated? You I see have, what you think is a pattern, and I'm just trying to understand. Okay. I have two thoughts. One, people can only treat you as poorly as you let them. And two, don't do covert contracts. Mm-hmm. So in the, in the realm of you picked it up, you were hoping he would pay for it, but you offered to pick it up. I think in the future, you'd be well-served to say, hey, I know that you're really busy. Do you want to throw me some money and I will pick it up for you? Mm -hmm. No assumptions made. Because when you go and buy it, you you think that the favor is picking it up for him and that he'll pay you back. But he didn't say he would do that. And so from his perspective, you've done something as a favor to him with the expectation that he'll do something in return. But he never agreed to that. He has covert contracts as well. Sexually, he's under the impression that if he sees you and is in the mood for sex, that you're obligated to have sex with him. And when you don't, then he pouts. But you've not done anything wrong. You haven't. Yeah. You don't. You owe just that haven't. To him. You yeah. don't owe that to him. So you're both in. 
from the limited anecdotes, this isn't to say that there's not a hundred unspoken things that make this an emotionally abusive relationship, but from the spoken anecdotes, you're both participating in what is very, very common in relationships, which is covert contracts where you have expectations for how the other person will behave that you haven't spoken, but that you get disappointed at when they don't do what you want. So that's, that's the first thing I take from the story. Yeah. Yeah. As I mean, I, I don't know if you were in an abusive relationship from, from three stories from your perspective. So I, I don't know. Uh, I won't comment there. I think it's good of you to reflect, but also don't over reflect. This is it's man. I'm giving you these Goldilocks answers. Like try to find uh, friends that are will be impartial that can give you feedback on how you behave with them. If any of the stuff matches for for that sort of uh, introspection in terms of covert contracts, I totally agree with Ben. I've been on the flip side of this in the guy's position. A uh, girl came over cooked me dinner. She asked me if I'd like dinner. I said, sure. She came over, brought it. I was in the middle of doing something on the computer or work. She came in and was like, hey. She's like, I have your food for you. I was like, awesome. And I didn't like, wasn't paying attention to her. And she got very upset after five-ish, seven minutes when I like didn't really get into the food and wasn't paying attention. She asked me how it was and I told her the truth. I was like, it's, it's okay. I'm like, it's not that great. Uh, and it was a huge problem. And what I said to her, which was very similar to what this guy said is, you know what? I'm, I never want food from you again. Like I can afford my own food. Uh, the, I didn't realize that what you were asking is how about I deliver you food in exchange for attention and praise? Cause I don't, ha I didn't have the bandwidth in that moment to give the attention and praise that she'd wanted. And if I'd understood the contract, I would have absolutely said no. Cause I had stuff that I was doing. Easier to Postmates and then do the work you were doing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would rather pay in dollars than in time right now. Um, and so I get it. So, I mean, we, we laugh about it and talk about it and, that's, that's been a, that was a moment for both of us. But I was like, no more food. I don't want any more of your food. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it's too expensive <laughs> uh, because it comes with stipulations. And, th and there's also times when like, maybe I do want that. Like maybe I do, I am like, hey, would you cook dinner? And I will look you in the eye and say, thank you and tell you that it's really good if you make this particular meal that I like. <laughs> so there's, there's times for each. I'm aware that, that these things can happen in a relationship and I don't know if yours is emotionally abusive or not. Yeah, and the other thing, the reason I said people can only treat you the way you let them is in the sense that you don't uh, you don't have to run the errand at all, right? You can just, he can say, oh yeah, I really want this shirt. You go, oh yeah, I think that looked great on you. Yeah. And you can have a totally great relationship that never involves you going to get the clothes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's, I think it's a pretty good idea to do things for the other person because you want to make them happy or because you enjoy doing the thing, not because you're expecting an unspoken reward for it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and if it were him and it was about the pouty, oh, I would tell him sex. To, I'd I'd have similar like, bro. If you can't uh, get her turned on, if or him, not, I don't know who we're talking to. But yeah, yeah. If, if, if you if, can't get the person aroused enough to want to have sex with you, that's on you. You don't get to just pout your way into sex. Yeah, I have I have other things to say mm -hmm. to your partner, but yeah. they didn't ask the question. Mm -hmm. Um. And also, but but at the same time, like, again, neither of you needs to owe one another anything for these situations. Like, it is it is an understandable to not be in the mood for sex. It's also understandable to be somewhat hurt. The question is how, when, when your partner is disinterested. Well, it's also okay to, with no malice, say, hey, I'm in the mood for sex every day. And yeah. your natural cadence is to have sex twice a week, so I don't want to see you anymore. What seems like but it's not. But you're not a bad person. I just am going to break up with you and meet someone who wants to have sex every day. That's well, a totally mm -hmm. great option for that person to take. It's, it's viable. Mm -hmm. 
it seems like what was not happening in both of these cases is clear communication, which mm-hmm. is I'm upset. Like instead of like, hmm, like, <laughs> yeah, and no, no, I'm like, I, I'm going to be honest. I'm a little bit, I feel a little bit unwanted right now. Uh, I was turned on and I'm disappointed and I was planning on seeing you later tonight and I thought that you'd be into it and you're not. And I feel rejected. So I'm going to go to bed now. and you can go, oh, that wasn't my intention. Blah, blah, blah. I'm just, I am just tired now. But, but in that situation, the answer is not just have sex with them. The answer yeah, yeah. is like have an honest talk or like this, this is where if real talk can happen in, in relationships, be like, okay, this is tough. But since we're being honest, I'm not feeling very turned on by you lately. And that can be a more serious conversation where you're actually getting down to issues that are important. It sounds like neither step one, two or three of these conversations is being had. People are, are forming stories and they're also head. not dating though. Yeah. They're not boyfriend, girlfriend. And, and you guys split up. So it's like, you know what? You guys have, well, enough- they were never boyfriend, girlfriend. Yeah. You guys have enough differences in communication style that, uh, it seems difficult for you guys to understand one another's languages of in relationships. So it's, I don't know. Just seems like a good thing for this to split. If this, if yeah. uh, if he perceives what you're doing as self-destructive behavior, and you don't necessarily have a pattern of that, and you perceive him as being potentially abusive, it's like you know what? Without needing for Ben and I to decide who's the good guy and the bad guy, who's abusive and who's self-destructing, just don't do this anymore. No, it's a good good relationship <laughs> to split. And then the only thing I'd say is to carry. For, forgetting the lesson he gave you, the lesson I would tell you to carry into your next relationship is, don't do things for someone else expecting them to give you something in return. So don't go buy gifts for people if you can't afford it and you're doing it because you think that they ought to pay you back, but they have never asked you to. Mm-hmm. Like only do that when they say, hey, I'm going to give you 50 pounds. We go buy me a 50 pound shirt. Or do shirt. it once or do it once or, or extend yourself in a way that you're willing to get no return from. Like there's, you know, for instance. Just don't be upset if the person doesn't do what you were hoping, even though they gave you no signal that they were going to. Yeah, what I wish had happened, for instance, with the dinner that was cooked for me is that she'd come, cooked me the dinner, been disappointed in my reception, and then just later told me, like, I don't want to do that again. Like, and I'm not going to. Without it being a fight. Yeah, without without it being a problem. Like, don't mm-hmm. make me fill your end of the bargain that you never said. Just say, hey, just so you know, like, I, I realized I had a covert contract and I'm not going to do that anymore, and this was not a satisfying uh, favor to do for you. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to do it anymore. I've been like, ah, bummer. Makes sense. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. I don't know if you realize, like, I have access to food. I live in a very central area. <laughs> and so, so we're good. Yeah, the amount of cost that you put into it, uh, I didn't realize. So, yeah. And you guys still see each other. Mm-hmm. Didn't end the relationship. Just ended no. the uh, cooking. Ended the cooking. <laughs> that was the end of that. Next is, um, I have a friend who I like a lot, but he uses sarcasm a lot, despite being terrible at conveying it. Nice. He uses a really dry, negative kind of sarcasm with essentially no tell or over-the-top delivery, and when I try and play into the sarcasm and go along with a joke, he'll say something like, oh, I'm just kidding, essentially cutting me off. It's something I've learned to live with over our friendship, but he recently sent me a really aggressive and serious-sounding text, and when I responded, his excuse was that you can't convey tone over text. Basically, how can I address this and how off-putting it is in a way that he could be receptive to it and doesn't come off as overly critical? Thanks and love the pod. You might need to do a uh, intervention for this one, a Woglin's Eye style. This ain't going to be fun for you to, to hear, but I'm going to tell you. Do you have anything other than that? To work for me. So I think you have, yeah, you have two options. Deal with it. Because cause clearly like oblique 
communications are not are, are easily deflected. Oh, I'm not being you know. Um, so you're going to have to have a, uh, either accept it or go super direct. Hey, this is kind of out of nowhere, but there's been something I've been thinking about that I want to talk to you. It's not easy for me to say. You do that thing where you get them to open up. Uh, there's been things that I've noticed, which blah, 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 da, 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 da. when you did very specific thing, it made me feel, so we're using I statements. We said this a hundred times. Mm-hmm. Um, would you say to do it one-on-one or to see if friends agree and then go talk like four-on-one? I would actually ask friends. And the reason I would ask them is to make sure that I was not crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, it would, not that I need to do a four-on-one talk, but to feel grounded in like, my hey, am I perception being am i being in, am i crazy person... and they're like no he's fucking hilarious i get all of his jokes you know like you're you're a little sensitive like um that's yeah i would i would try to find people that might have have similar experiences and be like is this am i crazy and that would but you would say it in a way that let them you would frame it as that's an option yeah yeah like, i would tell you're them. allowed to say i'm being sensitive i'm genuinely curious is this person i would say am i crazy those are, that's, those, these are the words that I use. I go, am I crazy? Like, is, is what I'm seeing not there? Mm. And then they can tell me. Um, so, yeah. And then, yeah, but I wouldn't necessarily, it doesn't mean you need to do it with four friends. That just, that's just how I would ground myself in, in this is one person's perspective versus another person's perspective, and we're both totally biased to our own perspectives. Which of them has stronger ties to reality? Universal grounding, yeah. yeah. Okay. Interesting. Um, cool. Yep, that's all I had. That's it. Wow. No questions for three weeks. Love it. That's it, boys. All Patreon right. We're going to hop over to Patreon. I think we have probably quite a bit, right? Let's do 30 uh, minutes. Let's yeah. go to deal three. We're going to hop into Patreon now. Uh, we'll, we're going to do a little bit shorter. Ben just said 30 minutes, but it's often an hour, and we will catch up to all of the questions. So if you want us talking more, these topics often can spiral into longer conversations other than just questions. If you want to see more of the cast, Patreon does it, keeps us going, and we appreciate all of you who are already there. So yeah, it's normally an extra hour of content and guaranteed you get to have your question asked yep. instead of having to get it liked on YouTube enough that it gets Justin's attention. Yeah, so we'll see you guys there. Peace. mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.